Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 65 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. Now, I always claim to be the Metallica podcast, but in actuality, as I'm sure all of you listening know, there are a lot of Metallica podcasts out there, and a lot of them are very good, and I'm friendly with a lot of the hosts. We are one big, happy Metallica family from Metal Up Your Podcast, Alpha Metallica, to more recently in Podcast for All. And the first one on the block was Speak and Destroy, hosted by Ryan Downey, a journalist with a very varied resume. He has done work for MTV, MSNBC, Marvel Comics. He has done a phenomenal job in his career diving into the things that he is passionate about within music and popular culture, and Metallica being near the top of that list, or at the very top of that list, so much so that he started a Metallica podcast much like this one, except very different format. His show is all interviews about Metallica. It's a phenomenal show. If you're not familiar with it for some strange, bizarre reason, check out the links in the description. Give him a follow on social media. Give the podcast a listen. It is really well done, really phenomenal. He's a great interviewer. He's been doing it for a long time. Has interviewed many top names in music and entertainment. And this was a really fun episode. We had no plan, no agenda. We just turned on the mics and started talking. And two hours later, we were still talking. Uh, we talked about podcasting in general. We talked about the how and why and the what and of podcasting about Metallica. And we, of course, talk about Metallica in general, the low points, the high points, and everything in between. This was just so much fun, and I hope that he will come back on soon. I'm done talking. Let's get into the conversation. Here is my talk with Ryan Downey, the host of Speak and Destroy. <laughs> My guest today is a man who is very well known, I think, among Metallica fans. He is the host of one of the several Metallica podcasts out there. I think, though, you might have had the first. He is the host of Speak and Destroy, Mr. Ryan Downey. Welcome to Metallicast. Yo, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, it's I love all the different Metallica podcasts that are out there, and I would... You know, my goal is to ultimately do something with each one. I've, I've done something with Clinton Ethan over at uh, Metal Up Your Podcast. They were kind enough to have me on their show, and uh, Clint was on here. So it's wonderful to have you on as well uh, to talk Metallica and nerd out a bit. Yeah, man. It's it's um really exciting, the, the whole – I mean, obviously it's cliche to say Metallica family, but the Metallica podcast family, um, yeah, to watch it go from nothing in the podcast space – that was Metallica centric too. Yeah. As you mentioned, there are multiple. In fact, I just came across one like two days ago that I hadn't seen yet. 
and I feel badly because I'm blanking on what it's called. Uh, but it, <laughs> <laughs> I, be- I believe the guy's a Euro. Um, and I want to say that the artwork was really cool. I want to say it had like 3D glasses on it or something. Oh, it was it um, Metallic Geek? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I know that. I, I'm not as familiar with that one, but I've seen it around out there. There's there's a lot. There's a couple. I, I, I always joke there's a new one that pops up every five minutes, you know? Well, well, and that's the joke about podcasts in general, right? Like right. everyone yeah. you know, who doesn't have a podcast. But uh, yeah, um, and to your earlier point, uh, you know, not to be Ricky Bobby, if you're, if you're not first, you're last. Um, <laughs> I, technically, I was first but as they say in the comedian world there was some parallel thinking going on um ethan luck is a very good friend of mine for a very very long time we've known each other since 2004 probably uh one of the things i do is i'm an artist manager and uh, the band i've been with the longest is a band called demon hunter and ethan was actually the lead guitar player in demon hunter right many moons ago uh, so, you know, he and I knew each other through that and have, have been, you know, very friendly ever since. And a few times when I've gone to Nashville, I, I stay with him and his wife and, you know, we, uh, we, I think the last time I saw him, actually, I was out on the road with Demon Hunter and we played a show in Birmingham and he and our, our friend Bruce from Living Sacrifice drove down from Nashville and hung out. So, you know, Ethan and I obviously being friends and both being huge Metallica fans, Metallica came up in conversation a very long time ago. And uh, one, one day he shoots me a text message and says, hey, man, I want to tell you something really cool. Uh, you're the first person I thought of to tell, you know, my, my buddy and I were starting a Metallica podcast. Yeah. And I was like, eyebrow raise, you know, um, <laughs> I'm starting a Metallica podcast. He's like, what? And I'm like, what? And then we're, you know. <laughs> And he's like, well, you know, we've had this idea for however long, you know, uh, we, we grabbed the socials already and everything. And, and, um, I was like, I grabbed all my socials like six months ago, you know, <laughs> and we're like time stamping, you know, and I was ahead, Yeah. <laughs> but to their credit, they did get an episode out the door first. Um, so mine did technically start the development process prior to theirs, but, uh, yeah, so I, I actually went back to them, um, and I don't. I don't know Clint, his co-host, um, but I went back to Ethan at one point and I said, hey, since we're both kind of developing the same thing, uh, why, don't we, why don't we do it together? And he's like, yeah, that's an interesting idea. Let me talk to my co-host about it. And, um, you know, a few days went by and we, and we talked again and he was like, yeah, you know, I talked to my buddy and, you know, I'm not really sure how it would work remote. Of course, that's a sign of the times, right? Because right. it's 2016. <laughs> You know, you're in California, we're in Nashville. Yeah. And and so then we started talking about what the podcasts would be and how they could very much exist in the same space and, and, and be in different lanes. Because initially, the vision for their podcast would be that it, it's two huge Metallica fans who also work in the music business as musicians talking about Metallica. So, you know, going through album by album, song by song, uh, you know, whatever Metallica news is happening, all that sort of stuff. And mine was very much uh, from episode one interviews with people about Metallica. That's what every episode has been. So, uh, you know, folks who have some direct connection to the band, indirect connection to the band, have been influenced by them, influenced 
them or are, you know, massive fans, but are known for something else, whether it's their own band or whatever. So I said, you know, I think our podcast will be uh, different enough that, you know, we're not going to be competitors in that sense because yours is going to be you guys talking about Metallica and mine's going to be me interviewing people about Metallica. And Ethan said, well, we will probably interview somebody once in a while, but not all the time, not every week. <laughs> and I was like, well, what kind of stuff do you have in mind? And he was like, well, you know, I think we're, like we're going to, you know, Metallica played at Grimey's here in Nashville. And I know somebody who works there. I think we're going to have him on. And I was like, okay. So, you know, it, it's definitely each thing has, um, I mean, they've done such a killer job with theirs and they yeah. have a great fan base for it. And they do a lot of cool things for their patrons and they, uh, they make music, which I think is incredible. And right. Yeah. You know, they put up those Metallica covers and Ethan sends me those when they do them. And yeah, the covers and, are know, fantastic too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're great musicians and, yeah. they're, and they're fans. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and then, and it's funny because like you said, I mean, yeah, in 2016, there, there was no Metallica podcast. And then I was like, I want to start one. And a couple months later, Ethan and Clint were like, I want to start one. And then we started <laughs> ours and then. <laughs> Yeah, here we are talking in 2021, and if you go into your podcast platform of choice and type in Metallica, you're going to get what, like a half a dozen? At least. At least. Yeah. At least? I think yeah. more at this point, you know? Um, Probably more at this point, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I was so ignorant about the other podcasts other than your own. I was familiar with yours because um, I had heard about it through the grapevine, and... I listened to it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, different interview every episode. And and I had had the idea to do a Metallica podcast before I had heard Speak and Destroy. And I was like, you know, I, I'm going to do my own thing. It's going to be a small thing, just monthly hobby, so to speak. And then I started, uh, you know, the Twitter account to get before I recorded an episode. And I quickly learned, I was like, oh, there's others besides speaking and destroy there is metal up your podcast there's alpha metallica and i I think metalla chat might have been around at the point so i think i was Mm. i was number four or five on the block i think (laughs) and um but uh, it's it's hard you know to kind of um do your own thing in a way i think they're you're naturally gonna have crossover you're gonna have uh you know if you have guests, you're going to have some of the same guests. If you're going to have some of the same topics, I mean, you're covering the same band, but I think, I I do think that uh, the Metallica podcasts out there that have um, a decent following kind of the core four, five, six of us out there, I think have been able to carve out a little niche. And we have listeners that listen to it all. We have Mm -hmm. listeners that, you know, prefer one over the other or whatever the case may be. But I I do think, you know, there is we've somehow been able to kind of find a little niche for ourselves. I I, I feel like, you know, for me, my show has changed a lot. I'm in my fourth year, I think, which is kind of crazy to think about. And I went from, you know, a monthly episode I recorded by myself about a topic and then it's evolved over time. I was like, oh, people are actually listening to this. So now it's a weekly thing. And, you know, I've been uh, lucky enough to have great guests on from, you know, John Bush to John Zazula and, you know, and others and, and you know, been able to. But I, I only bring that up because I, I think it speaks to the Metallica fan and what kind of fan Metallica has 
where there could be three, four, five, six, 20 podcasts out there and we can all find a footing because Metallica fans are so rabid and passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, you know, there's fans out there that listen to all of our shows and one, I'm, I'm like, how do you have the time? I, I wish I had the time to listen to all of our shows. Um, but God bless you guys. And it, it just speaks to the passion in, in this fan base. And, and I have to say, you know, I, I was, um, once I started that Twitter and put out an episode, which I, you know, looking back, it's like, I had no clue what I was doing and I figured it all out as I went along. And if you listen to it, you can probably easily tell that. And, <laughs> but you know, I was like, well, I wonder if I'll have any interaction with the other podcasts. And if I do like what it'll be and be like, you know, I don't want to be viewed as like a, I'm ripping anybody. And everybody was instantly welcoming, uh, the, oh, yeah. you know, Clinton, Ethan from Melbourne podcast instantly, give me a shout out online and mm-hmm. Clint was on the show like in the first year. And, and, and I realized very quickly, I'm like, this is just an extension. Like you said, the Metallica family and it sounds cheesy, but there is a truth to it, you know? And uh, if you see somebody on the street with a Metallica t-shirt, you instantly have that connection. You're like, I, I feel like I know this guy and I will get along with this guy or gal. Yeah. And, and I think that's it. The podcasts are just sort of an extension of all of that. Yeah, absolutely agree. I, I agree with everything you just said. And I think that there is plenty of room uh, for each individual show to carve out its own voice, you know, literally and, and figuratively in terms of tone and style and, and that sort of thing. And it also speaks to, as you said, the devotion, the loyalty, the passion from Metallica fans that there are so many and some are so, so dedicated because yeah, like you said, I've noticed the same thing on social media that uh, plenty of folks who listen to speak and destroy uh, seem to listen to all of the Metallica podcasts that yeah. are out there. Um, I also think that that speaks to uh, the, you know, almost, you know, roughly four decades of Metallica history, how much there is to talk about. You know, I know yeah. like Clint and Ethan will do episodes where it's like, we're talking about a year and a half in the life of Metallica. And, you know, that can be six hours of conversation. You know what I mean? It's like, right. there's, yeah. there's so much to unpack and talk about uh, that the throughout the band and uh, the band's history and the people who've been in the band and, and the people around them, and the bands they've toured with and all, you know, there's just so much. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting in terms of the guests, because uh, yeah, of course you had John Bush, you had Johnny Z. I think Johnny Z has done all the Metallica podcasts at this point. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think I think I think Michael Alago's done all the. You know, it's like yeah. there's some there's some people like you said. There's just going to be some natural overlap. Uh, it's funny because uh, you know I, I for once have been pretty far ahead on episodes, which normally hasn't been the case. And a month or two ago. I did an interview with Phil Tao, which is an episode that's coming out next week. Right. And last week, one of the other yeah. Metallica podcasts yeah, put out I their Phil Tao episode. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, only because I'm like, I've had this in the bank for like two months. I yeah. Just put it right out. <laughs> but then I just, but it was also a good reminder to kind of step back and be like, it doesn't matter. And their yeah. conversation is going to be very different than whatever right. my conversation yeah. is. And even if the conversation somehow ended up being identical, it's still interesting enough 
there's pl- plenty enough of an audience. And I know for myself as a Metallica fan, I mean, how many, how many interviews every album cycle do I watch or read or listen to with right, the guys exactly. in the band? Yeah. You know, so there's no reason to think that someone wouldn't, you know, they're going to be scrolling through their feed and they're not going to go, oh, I just heard Phil Tal on a different Metallica podcast. They're still going to hear it. You know, what I hear. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, yeah. my conversation or your conversation or Clinton Ethan's conversation. Um, I do think, I like to think um, an advantage that I have, or, 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 or I guess um, a distinction rather, you know, if, if someone were to sit down and, and kind of go through what all the different Metallica podcasts are and what's different about each of them. Um, I like to think that I brought some of my journalism background into the situation, which uh, makes it, I wouldn't say more formal by any means, because it's still a very uh, conversational, but I don't know. I think, I think they all kind of have different tones and different flavors. And I appreciate that there are, you know, one thing my podcast hasn't been is I haven't done you know, I did like a bonus episode once that was like, let's talk about H.P. Lovecraft. And it was because I was actually writing something for a TV show independent of the podcast about H.P. Lovecraft. And right. I was like, hmm, I could probably <laughs> repurpose some of this material that I already have. But I don't, but I haven't, you know, I think a great lane for some of the other podcasts is that like in-depth discussion. And I love that a lot of them have other fans on and have listeners on a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just, there's a wide, and that's not to say that I won't do some deep dive episodes, just like it doesn't mean that everyone else doesn't do interviews, you know? Right. Um, it's funny what you what you said about, you know, getting episodes out and kind of feeling like you didn't know what you were doing. I would say my very first episode of Speaking of Destroy, I had, I mean, there was definitely a lot of learning curve of stuff I was trying to figure out, but I kind of had the reverse problem in that coming from a TV news background and having produced a lot of interview content, I overdid it. Like I went, I pulled all these clips, you know, (laughs) the first guest was Matt from Avenged Sevenfold. And like, we're talking about Avenged Sevenfold being on TRL in 2005. So I go and find the footage of 2005 TRL and put oh, clips yeah. in there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, I really, and it's like, dude, I, there's no way that I'm going to put these out on any kind of consistent basis. If I'm going to put this much time myself into mm-hmm. post-production, yeah. <laughs> like there's gotta be, so I want it to sound good and be professional and uh, have some editing and a little polish, but I was going way over the top. And the other, the other problem that I had in terms of overachieving, is that I launched three podcasts simultaneously <laughs> about three different things. And then a friend of mine uh, talked me into doing a fourth with him. <laughs> and there was, yeah, there was a moment where I was trying to juggle four podcasts. And what, en- what ended up happening inevitably is I would get on these, uh, I'd get some momentum going with one of them and get a bunch of episodes in the bank. And then one or two always inevitably falls by the wayside. So it's yeah. like right now, one of those podcasts hasn't put out an episode in a year. One hasn't put out an episode in five or six months. And then speaking destroy has been consistent every week yeah. for like a year or something now, you know? So right. I, I do still want to try to have it all in that sense, but um, man, it is as much as we joke about how everyone has a podcast. It is, as you very well know, 
uh, it takes a lot, a lot of effort. It can be labor yeah. intensive to, yeah. to be consistent, you know? Yeah. And I found myself, you know, in that rabbit hole, but, and when I first started this, it was much easier because I, I, my plan was to do one a month. So, you know, I had more time to find, you know, a clip on YouTube of a live show or an interview and edit it in and, but then, you know, over time, as I got more comfortable doing it and kind of started, you, you find things that work, find things that do not work, find things you like, dislike, just like anything. Yeah. And over time, you know, it's just like I now I have uh, basically no clips and it's just a conversation. And yeah, it's same here. But it's <laughs> but I much prefer that, too, because I, I, yeah. I enjoy it more myself. Like I yeah. I I realize that I a big part of the why I started this podcast was just to connect with other fans and mm-hmm. to have these conversations. And so I, I always joke, like my wife got tired of me turning every conversation into a Metallica conversation. So it's in order to, uh, you know, save her ears. I just started going down in our basement and talking to a mic by myself. And then it. fortunately, other people were like, hey, I like your show. I'm listening. Uh. And then it's like, oh, this fan, come on. This listener, come on. This, And then it's like, oh, more and more people. So now I'm at a point where, you know, I might have somebody from a band on. I might have a journalist on. I might have, you know, somebody from another podcast on. But then I'm going to have a listener on and do a deep dive. Yep. Or, you know, like the last episode, um, I had Richard S. He on, who's a frequent guest. He's a He's written stuff, but he's been on the show a bunch of times. And mm-hmm. he's one of my go-tos now, you know. And uh, we just did, like, top our, our top three Metallica award show performances, you know, things like that. And it's – and to go back to your original point, it – I, I really think Metallica is the ultimate band to do a podcast on because one of the fan base is huge. The fan base is passionate, like I said. But like you said, there's four decades of material to pull from. And there's so many, you know, when you get into the influences and the cover songs and the bands they influence, there's so many other side avenues you can travel mm-hmm. down. And on top of that, they're a band that's still relevant. It's not like, yes. you know, they had their peak 20 years ago and now they're, you know, sort of have faded into obscurity. Like they're just as relevant now, if not more so than they ever have been. So I, there's an excitement about covering, um, you know, new Metallica news or talking about a new Metallica yeah. album or a new tour. Yeah. There's an excitement behind that that not a lot of bands 40 years in can can garner that kind of excitement from their fan base. Yeah, it feels less like a historical forensic adventure. You know, there's a there's a Motorhead podcast called Motorcast, which I, I want I've been meaning to check out. It looks like they've had some really great guests. Uh, but you know, there's the the classic lineup of Motorhead. All those guys are gone. You know, right. um, so it, it yeah, it immediately has a different flavor than something like Metallica that is very much active going people are interested the other re- another reason why i think they are so well suited to this is that everyone has an opinion about them you know oh, yeah. something something yeah. i've learned is that wherever you fall on the spectrum of hard rock or heavy metal or punk and at whatever point in your life you may or may not have been a metallica fan or whatever that dropped off for you or what your favorite era is your favorite lineup whatever the case may be we're all always collectively aware every time they make a move. 
Yeah. And I can't think of another band where that's the case. You know, every time Metallica does something, everyone knows about it. Everyone's posting about it positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. It's a big conversation, you know, and it's for me, somebody who didn't grow up into sports. I realized at some point that my Metallica fandom is very similar to what a sports fandom must be like, because you hear people say like, oh, I love the Chicago Bears, but but, you know, my favorite is the 1985 Chicago Bears or whatever. I like this coach, right? Or they complain about the quarterback or this, you know, the Bengals sucked at this game, but they were <laughs> great last week or, what, you know, whatever the case may be, right? And I, I feel like that's what Metallica fandom is like, yeah, you know, when you find totally. yourself in some here overhearing or participating in heated debates about decisions the band makes or, or, or whatever. It all comes from that same place of love where it's like, you know, I'll give you one example is um, Josh Bernstein, our mutual friend who's been on both of our shows. Uh, Josh and I had the opportunity to go to the Grammys together, and it was the Metallica Lady Gaga year. Mm. And we had really great seats. And, and obviously, performance-wise, that was the thing we cared about. And they come out and, um, you know, experience the technical difficulties that we're all well aware of now. And I just remember sitting there in the moment where I was just like, man, like we took it personally. You know what I mean? It was like we were, and we, and Josh and I both have friends who work at the recording Academy. We've both done work with the recording Academy. It's not a slight against anyone specifically, certain people that we, that we know there, but just in general, you know, it's like it, it felt like some sort of personal insult, you know, because it's like, that's our band. Right. Yeah you know, Laverne Cox didn't even remember to introduce them, you know, and then now there's no sound, you know, and it's just like, uh, yeah, you felt like a punch in the stomach, you know, it's like, yeah, this is our big moment and it's ruined. Um, and there's just something about that type of fandom that is so unique to them. I think, I mean, of course, you know, I'm sure kiss fans might be listening to this going like, what? No way. (laughs) You know, we all have our, we all have our things that we love, but there's something about the Metallica fandom where we really feel, ownership you know it's like we feel included in it right and i think everybody i've had on here can pretty much claim that metallica is their all-time favorite band or at least you know top five favorite band nobody i've never had anybody on who dislikes the band obviously but you know you mentioned certain topics and sometimes i'll just throw things out there and see what the reaction is like What's your opinion of the load reload era? What's your opinion of St. Anger? What's your opinion of Lulu? Because you get these either strong reactions on opposite ends, right? Like there are Mm -hmm. people like myself love the load reload era and gush over it and, you know, are dying for Fixer to finally be in the playlist. And then there's other people like... Until it sleeps is the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Just play disposable Outlaw, Outlaw heroes. Torn is a, <laughs> Outlaw Torn is a top ten Metallica song for me, and I'm also finding, and, and you've probably encountered this as well. There's a generational thing where I'm continually surprised lately when I'm talking to other grown adults who have accomplished many things in their lives, <laughs> yeah. who discovered Metallica during Load and Reload because mm-hmm. they were like 14. You yeah, know? well, that's, like, that's oh yeah, that was a long time ago now. That's me, and it's. You know, like I, my introduction to the band was the Black Album, but I was in first grade seeing Inter Sandman on MTV. Oh, wow. And then in sixth grade, Load was the new album. It was like I was the first CD on my first CD player. And yeah. I always joke on the podcast because, you know, the 80s metalheads looked at Load and they were like, 
what's this band, you know? But I had the opposite reaction where I went Black Album Load and then bought Kill 'Em All when I was in like, when I was in sixth grade, and I looked at Kill 'Em All and I said, "What's this band?" Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, when I got into the band, Garage Days was the current release. Um, so I felt like a new school poser back then because I missed Cliff, right, you know, and yeah. that was already kind of a thing, right? Uh, you know, and and yeah, it's hilarious now to kind of. It all, it's all time, place, and circumstance. It's all where you entered into the picture. It, you know, and Justice for All is, of course, rightly revered, worshipped, held in high esteem. But I just happen to be of a generation and happen to have been with a group of friends, metalheads, and uh, south side of Indianapolis in the late 80s, that when Injustice for All came out, our little lunch table of Heshers <laughs> almost... Uh, unanimously were disappointed. Yeah, it was slow. It was this. It was that. And it wasn't much longer before a lot of those people. We're talking about a small group of people, right? But a lot of those friends uh, went. You know, there's they started talking about Morbid Angel and Death and Cannibal Corpse, and you know they went more extreme as Metallica was getting more accessible. And my, my fandom never wavered. And I loved Ant Justice for All and then, and then came to love it even more. But I definitely vividly remember that discussion the very next day after it came out of everyone saying Dyer's Eve was the only good song. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else was slow and long and boring. Uh, so, yeah, so it's like every step of the way, you know, and you hear Lars say all the time, like, when Ride the Lightning came out, there were people that were mad that there was a ballad. Right, you know? yeah. When Kill 'Em All came out, there were people upset that it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the same edge or the same energy as No Life to Leather. Right. You know, so. You changed the lyrics to the mechanics. Damn you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like every <laughs> step of the way, you know, so a lot of it's just going to depend on who you were, yeah. what was going on in your life, what else you'd been exposed to, and, and all that sort of thing about what things you're going to revere versus, you know, someone else. So, yeah. See, I, I, I had to survive high school as a huge Metallica fan in their uh, perhaps most dire time because I was uh, wearing my Metallica t-shirt to high school every single day. And obviously there were a lot of Metallica fans because they're a massively popular band, but it was during the Napster era. So I had a, a, you know, high school kids in suburbia were like, Fuck that band! Oh, absolutely! I want my music yeah. for free. You know, so yeah, it's like yeah. dealing with that. And then when I was like just graduating high school, June two thousand three, what drops? Saint Anger. So I remember ending my high school career, like with people giving me their two cents about Saint Anger, and you know, the talking through that album, much like your friends were talking about Injustice for All. And, yeah. uh, you know, trying to dissect that snare sound and why there's no guitar solos and why does it sound like there's a wrong note there? And I'm like, because there is a wrong note there. <laughs> but, yeah, so it, it's it's definitely funny. And I always ask that question usually when uh, somebody comes on the podcast, like, what's your entry point to the band? Because, yeah. you know, I have people who are like, I've, I, I saw that first show ever in San Francisco in 81. And then I'll have somebody the next episode, they're like, 
Death Magnetic was my introduction yep. to the band, and that's my yep. all-time favorite Metallica album. And I have to ask, like, wait, you like that album better than Master of Puppets? And, this and I have to stop myself. I'm like, well, yeah, that's your entry point. That's your, you know. Totally. And, and, like, that's why, for me, I will always have a softer spot for, like, Load and Reload because I was in middle school when those albums came out. So that was, you know, for an, a certain part of my fandom, that was, like, the Metallica that I knew before yeah. I kind of went back and, you know, educated myself and read books and watched all old interviews and listened to those albums and got Cliff them all, you know, and went through the whole process of kind of, you know, getting the background. But I still... Which, which is part of the fun, by the way, when you discover a new band who's established is going back and... Absolutely. 100%. You know, diving in the history for sure. Yeah, my... I have to say this because I have to give credit where credit is due always. You know, Metallica is my favorite band. Uh you know, I have I have a handful of favorite bands. They're obviously the top. They're the one I do a podcast about. But Megadeth was unequivocally the band that got me into metal. And in high school with my metalhead friends, whenever there was a Metallica Megadeth debate, I would often find myself on the <laughs> in the minority of the Megadeth side of it. And as David Elson likes to point out, they're all branches from the Metallica tree. Yeah. You know, and Megadeth is very much um you know, as much as is Mustaine is sometimes dismissed as well, he wasn't in the band for very long. Yeah, but he was in the band in one of the most crucial eras of the band yeah. and in the formation of what became an entire style. I mean, and there, there, that's not to take away anything from, I mean, obviously Kirk, who, you know, taught Gary Holt how to play guitar and started Exodus, let, let alone all of his contributions to Metallica, you know, inner Sandman being their biggest song and that being Kirk's riff. Right. You know, uh, but there's no denying that the style of guitar playing that Dave Mustaine and James Hetfield developed independently of one another. And then once they came together was just changed everything, you know? So, sure. So Megadeth was actually, yeah, I was into music. I loved music. I had an older brother who was into music. Uh, I was into, you know, being a kid growing up in the 80s. I uh, was into a lot of new wave. You know, I liked Duran Duran and the Smiths and the Cure and not necessarily stuff that was popular in uh, blue collar south side of Indianapolis, but uh, but was popular, you know, around the world. That was all the kind of stuff I loved. Adam and the Ants, Billy Idol. And my metal story is as simple as I had a friend who was into hair metal. He was into like Crocus and Whitesnake and, mm -hmm. and Molly Crew and stuff like that. He bought Peace Sells, but he was buying on cassette at the mall, thinking that it was going to be a hair metal band. <laughs> Put it on and was like, this is unlistenable. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> Gave it to me just to get rid of it. <laughs> and also and also as like this curiosity you know like this thing's insane and terrible you know um, yeah have fun with this <laughs> and it was like a scene from a movie you know if i were to write a movie of my life th this this moment would be in the script right because it's me just <laughs> popping it in and being like what is this and it comes on and it like literally changed me in the moment you know yeah. just grabbed a hold of me and i was like this is the craziest, coolest, most invigorating, most dynamic, complex, you know, I mean, I'm in seventh grade and it uh, just absolutely blew my mind. And for me to not, you know, pre-internet and all that, to not really know where to go next, 
because the only metalhead I knew was in the hair metal. Right. Um, you know, I just, I loved that piece sells tape. I wore it out. I studied it. I read the liner notes. I started writing down bands that were in the thanks list, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And I just so happened to be at my local newsstand. And there was a magazine called cream presents thrash metal. And it was issue number one. And it had day Mustaine on the cover. And I saw that and I went, that's the guy from the tape. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for me, and this is a big part of, of my love of uh, rock journalism and print journalism in particular, there was an article in that issue uh, called the 20 greatest thrash metal albums of all time. And it's hilarious to think about, because I believe this was 1987. I was going to say, what uh, year was this? <laughs> yeah. But on the flip side, it's like the list kind of hasn't changed. <laughs> I was going to say, but the bulk of it's from 1986. So <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah. So it was the top 20 thrash metals of all time. And it had, you know, rain and blood, hell awaits, master of puppets, kill them all, ride the lightning, peace cells. Uh, I think, I believe creator, terrible certainty. I think there might've been a Celtic frost record on there. And I made it my mission. I'm going to get every record on this list. I love yeah. Megadeth. I love this style of music. All these bands are in the same neighborhood stylistically. I'm going to like at least some of them. Right. And that, that's where my allowance and lunch money started going every week was I would get a new cassette or two. You know, there was one week where I was like, hmm, if I get the Overkill Fuck You EP and the Celtic Frost Tragic Serenades EP, that's the price of one full album. So I can <laughs> I can now discover two new bands. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, and it was just off to the races from there. And, and obviously, you know, Metallica came along right afterwards and, and Garage Days was the current release. And so that was the first thing I got. And it was an EP and it was cheaper. So, such a you know, poser. Such, such, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, new, totally new school. Jason, new kid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I got the the Cliff Mall VHS whenever that came out, and and yeah, I remember my my one of my friends and I went to. Uh, and this, and also, by the way, in middle school, I knew like one or two other kids. I met one or two other kids that liked metal. But when I got to high school, that was a little more revelatory because then I met like five or six kids, right? And uh, and started you know playing in bands together and stuff like that. Uh, one of whom I, I still talk to every day, and we knew at that point, you know, the fandom was deep enough that I knew what the street date was going to be for Andrews for All, and showed up at the record store, you know, immediately after school that tuesday or whatever and uh and grabbed it and yeah it's just been you know ever since but yeah i found myself a passionate load reload defender throughout the 90s uh because yeah for a lot of reasons and then of course there was the napster thing and i found myself in those arguments yeah and those will still come up with more sort of casual cursory type people who aren't really that informed about what that was all about and what the arguments were you know somebody right. will make a, a comment about how Lars hates the internet I'm like dude Metallica <laughs> is possibly the well, most forward thinking digital band yeah. you know they were they had they had mp3s of their shows up on their website right and, yeah you know, Megadeth of course st- started the first band website on the internet ever did you know that really the first first band to ever have a website Megadeth wow. Arizona it was called um that was them. They were first. Yeah. Uh, it was just like, you know, floppy disk days. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, you know, found myself in those conversations and it's like, dude, 
you know, like the, like the shirt Jamie Justice makes, Lars was right. Yeah. You know, everything he predicted, all the dangers of that stuff. And people are, oh, they're greedy. What do they need? All, all the pennies <laughs> they can get. And it's like, no, clearly it wasn't about the money for them. They're right. set for life and they can play and sell merchandise. They don't care about making money from records in that sense. For them, it was about control and it was about someone's going to make the money because the whole thing in free music you know, as Lars was pointing out back then, there were investors mm-hmm. pumping tons of money into these emerging technologies in hopes of turning a buck. You know, that right. wasn't altruism. Uh, and as he predicted, it ended up being, you know, you want to tell me some guy like Kim.com with, you know, that that guy's got the best interests of art in mind. <laughs> right. You know, it's like it just became different assholes yeah. that were making all the money. Um so anyway, yeah, it, it, it it's it, it all it's continues to be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, you know, I had a, I had a friend when um, Metallica played Blizz, BlizzCon, the big gamer convention in Anaheim a few years yeah. ago. I have a friend who's a big gamer and not a metal person, and uh, you know, I texted her and I was like, "Worlds are colliding. I'm coming to BlizzCon because she goes all the time, right?" Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, Metallica, like, you know, eye roll emoji. <laughs> and she's like, why are they playing a gaming convention? They hate the internet. They hate computers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Man, this was just a few years ago. So yeah. it's like that that sentiment has lingered, unfortunately. Well, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, when we were talking about, you had mentioned kind of the controversies throughout their career. But those controversies, I think, you know, over time, of course, they get um diminished a bit but they're still there and for some people they're still very relevant like the amount of people who still talk about again load reload saint anger like saint anger was a long time ago now too and it's like you know that was almost 20 years we're coming up on almost 20 years of saint anger and that's you know but it's still uh people are still grasping at that and the napster thing and i actually i i very very rarely uh, record any episodes by myself anymore but i had a random request so i did one and uh i that name of the episode was lars was right because not that long ago metallica did blizzcon this year and it was on twitch and twitch oh, that's right and twitch uh censored the music because of their uh you know yeah their uh copyright uh, guidelines their rules that they put in place and so Twitter exploded. I, I remember going. I had no clue they were even doing it, to be honest. And then I was yeah, on and, Twitter. And everyone on Twitter was like, ha ha, serves them right. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Like I was on not. Twitter and I was like, wait, Metallica's trending. I hope everything's okay. <laughs> and then because it was like a random Saturday night. And then I was like, I was like, oh, that's hilarious that Twitch played like retro 80s video game music over them because of their own like self-imposed rules but then i was digging deeper into it and people are like sirs them right napster this like it oh the rule that they created and i was like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so i did like a whole like half hour episode where i was like metallica did not create the you know the now the name's escaping the digital millennium the the dmca yeah like all that was existed before napster and then you know but it was i was like how this is still happening in in 2021 like people are still rehashing that you know and i i will always remember during that era of napster 
It was the weirdest thing because I remember Lars Ulrich coming out. It must have been the Video Music Awards, and he got booed. He came out like to present an award, and he got booed. And I was like, "Really?" You know, and it's yes. and it's also funny looking back then and seeing you know how things have you know come full circle in so many ways. Right there on another level of popularity, some would argue when you look at you know in terms of merch and. Uh, accomplishments with the rock and roll hall of fame in recent years and the stadium tour and hardwired self-destruct being so well received by so many people and Mm -hmm. doing so well but it it, you know they it it, it's funny that some people are still latching on to those things it's crazy man and yeah and i remember there was some it might have been an mtv vmas there was some event where Sean Fanning came out at like the height of Napster in a Metallica shirt and like yeah. walked out to Metallica music. And he was like, Man. I feel you like know, it might've been that same year. I feel. And, like. a- and again, to Lars's point back then, let's take a look at how things panned out for Sean Fanning and, and Sean Parker and all those people that were, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. they were, this wasn't some big revolution to empower artists. I mean, certainly we could debate, um, all sides of what the response was to the evolution and the change in technology from the record labels and from, you know, the ISPs and the hardware manufacturers like Apple. And, you know, there's all sorts of blame to go around and finger pointing and a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking. Right. But with all of that being said, when you go back and read the interviews or watch the interviews or listen to the interviews and hear what Lars was saying. He was right. He really was. You know, I always point people to this, the now disgraced Charlie Rose, but there's a Charlie Rose episode. (laughs) That's Lars and Chuck D. You've probably seen it. Mm -hmm. And they're debating Napster and, you know, God bless Chuck D. He's, he's brilliant and he's uh, a legend and an icon. Most of what Chuck D predicted and had to say about Napster turned out to be wrong and everything Lars says in that conversation was correct yeah you know and now you hear these stories of like you know i mean obviously the music industry changed forever from that point on never fully recovered from the recording side of things and now you hear you know these stories about how many royals how much an artist gets uh, from royalties when they have like the most played song on Spotify and it's just like how how is any artist expected to make a living that way and then it's not a coincidence that you know in the last 20 years you've seen an increase in uh, licensing with you know commercials and video games mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I, I, at one point that was taboo right if you if you had your oh, song yeah. in a commercial F that band you know you were a sellout so now it's like you put your song in a commercial, genius. <laughs> you just got, yeah. you know, a few extra bucks for yourself, you know? That reminds me, I'm going to try to find this meme because I don't want to misquote it. But that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, here's the meme. It says, 90s band. We got picked up by a major label. 90s fans. Fuck you, sell out. <laughs> 2010s band. This cover of a song from Moana is sponsored by Flamin' Hot Werther's Originals. <laughs> 2010's fans. Honestly iconic. We stand sponsored kings. <laughs> Let's get this to 10 million views. I almost feel like I'm making money. <laughs> Absolutely love, love that. Love so it. So correct. Yeah. 
how things change. You know, and the thing about also to Lars's point, you know, we hear a lot now about how how bands are barely making anything from Spotify, and and I'm not here to advocate for to, for Spotify or, or be their uh, you know champion, but I will say playing devil's advocate the alternative to people using these streaming services and giving you fractions of a penny per listen was free because that's where it went you know no one's going to pay 18 bucks for a cd anymore right and then it became i'm just going to steal it and it's going to be free so this was this was the only other option really is the way that that's turned out the other thing is you know who's to say how many times you're going to listen to something when you buy the CD versus how the streams work. But the other thing I, I want to point out that I think not a lot of people realize, including people in bands is a lot of artists who are doing well in streaming, but still aren't getting paid. Well, it's because they're in the same bad record deals that they were in before all of this. Hmm, right. The labels are making money hand over fist. And if, if you just Google, you know, there's only three major labels now. If you if you Google Universal Music, Sony, Warner, Quarterly, just Google that and put and set your parameters to the last like two years, and it's every single quarter, every one of those companies up, 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 up by huge percentages, and it's all streaming revenue. Wow! So there's money being made, and it was yeah. just like what Lars was saying back then. Like somebody's looking to make money with Napster. This isn't going to be free forever. They're investing in it for a reason, right? And, and, and that's that's the case now. So, you know, for better or worse, you will hear a lot of artists say like, "Yeah, screw Spotify. They they pay fractions of a penny." And it's like, well, if you're <laughs> if you have a hit, so to speak, or even like a, a decent amount of catalog. There is actually decent revenue coming in. It's just it's being funneled through your label, who's taking yeah. the lion's share and putting it against your unrecouped balance and the tour support and the marketing costs. And it's all the same crap, you right. know. And it is so. a good way to to uh, discover bands you might not have heard of before. You know, like, yeah, I miss it being in high school, going to my local record store, finding a CD of a band I never heard of, being like, that's a badass album cover. I'm going to pick that up. But there is, you know... I subscribe to Apple Music. I'm I, and, yeah. and I love having everything I've ever owned in my cell phone. I love the convenience of it, and you know, my friends and I still share music all the time. Except now it comes through a text message. My buddies will be like, "Here, check out this album." They'll share the album yeah. from Apple Music or check out this. Yeah, song, I, I would rather have a link that takes me somewhere in the cloud than somebody sending me a giant attachment <laughs> right 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 yeah. yeah exactly so i mean there is definitely a convenience and it, like anything there's going to be a pro and con yeah of course of course um but yeah i i think if there's any big takeaway from our conversation about this side of it is that the the, the biggest fallacy is is when we find ourselves being so reductive about it you know spotify is the devil they don't pay artists right uh, Lars is greedy. He hates technology. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's yeah. people don't like nuance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like God forbid you take uh, an extra five minutes to educate yourself about this sort of stuff. Yeah, and we're all guilty of it. You know, I'm sure I've popped off with productive sure. opinions about things I wasn't as informed about as I should be. But th- th- this one sticks in our craw, I think, because we're such Metallica fans, but not that we're. Oftentimes people will hear my defenses as this like blind allegiance to the band. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, no. This is because I paid attention. 
you know <laughs> right. I, I watched this clip on youtube just today actually this is the kind of stuff fans like us do right it's like three minute random interview that comes up in my suggesteds because of the other stuff i watch it's james and jason uh not, it, they're in canada and it's actually not long it must be during the guns and roses tour because they talk about the the riot and they took some questions from fans who were calling in by phone and the very first question and it's jason and james just those two that are sitting mm-hmm. there. the very first question this is like 1992 this guy's like so uh yeah i was just wondering what you guys think like cliff would think about like your direction these days like you know how you're like more commercial and like not so fast anymore and it's like man first of all jason's sitting there secondly it's wow you know i mean it's just wow on a bunch of levels but again you know james says what i always say which is he's like you know what cliff was actually the guy who liked you know it's like he liked simon and garfunkel right yeah leonard skinner he liked you know if you watch some interviews with Cliff where he talks about not caring about being the fastest and the what, you know, mm-hmm. whenever people are like, oh, if Cliff, if Cliff knew what they were doing in the 90s, it's like, dude, he would have been pushing them there <laughs> even fat. The whole coulda, woulda, shoulda is just yeah. like, I don't, I nobody think, knows anyway. But. I think some people imagine because Cliff Burn was like such a chill guy, you know, like people think they were going to turn to some kind of like stoner doom metal band or in just be this like wicked evil sounding band i'm like no like cliff listened to you know like you said simon garfunkel thin lizzy you know like his leonard skinner like so much of his roots were in classic rock i think yeah i think he so his favorite some of his favorite metallica stuff would have been load and reload and i agree like you know hearing uh a song like mama said which i know is blasphemy for some old school metalheads like i love that song and i i I think he would too. I, and, and let's be honest; those those bell bottoms would fit in a lot better alongside some of those tracks than uh, you Absolutely. know, battery. <laughs> I, I think I think what inevitably happens, you know, when we lose someone like Cliff, so young, yeah, and in their prime, uh, and and their icons or legends, you know, and, and Cliff is of course all of those things times a hundred. But we're able, to, you know, they get crystallized in that moment in their peak, their peak of cool, their peak of presence, performance. We're not, we don't get the beautiful experience and opportunity to see their flaws and mistakes and wrong turns and weird ideas and, and uh, foot and mouth moments because our time with them was so limited. And part of what I think is so glorious about the human experience is our messiness. You know, we're not always perfect. We're not always super awesome and cool. So it because you know we're we're now able to like project onto these people whatever we want you know i could yeah. sit here and say whatever i want about what kurt cobain might think about the foo fighters you know right but the but the the honest truth of it is we don't know yeah there's no way to know we lost we lost kurt when he was at his peak cool you know we don't right. we don't know he, he might have done who knows what lame things I, and i know it's blasphemy to say but i was like, saying to it's humanity i was know? saying to somebody not that long ago i was like imagine if kurt cobain was still alive and he was playing a big stadium with pyro and all the greatest hits and, or he was just like you know what 
I'm just going to do a bunch of like mellow acoustic stuff. And yeah, like I, I could see him going in any number of directions. I could see of him being like, Tom Petty or Springsteen or right, know. exactly. Yeah. Like I'm like, there's no telling. Like he he could have, yeah, maybe he was gonna go more underground and more punk rock, but like he could have gone the yeah. complete opposite direction. Like nobody knows. That's yeah. the thing, you know. It's like it, and you know, it, you're gonna have that stinker. You're, or you're going to have not maybe if you don't have a complete sinker, you're going to have that album that doesn't and you're, capture you're everybody, you know, like you're going to complete complex person. Exactly. You know? and, and, and it's like, you know, the Sex Pistols is another great example. Sid Vicious is forever frozen in amber as, you know, skinny padlock necklace, leather jacket, spiked up hair, probably has a switchblade on him, you yeah. know, just uber cool punk personified. And we've had an opportunity over the years to see johnny rotten become lame you know do a, <laughs> a butter commercial and put on weight and yeah. advocate for trump and do things yeah, that are yeah, like yeah. eyebrow raising or whatever and i'm a huge fan of his and i support his right to do everything i just named but you know god bless him i'm so glad we still have him because right. not only yeah. we have firsthand information from the horse's mouth about that era we also got Public Image Limited. We got all this other cool stuff that he did. Sure, since. yeah. So, you know, again, it's it's easy to fetishize a Sid Vicious type character for all of the uber cool that they had. But I think it's more tragic that we lost them at peak cool because who knows what great and terrible things they might have done down the road. John Lennon, Jim Morrison, you know, Amy Winehouse, take your pick. You know, it's like right. I would rather have had those folks stay with us a lot longer and do a couple lame things along the way than as cool as they are frozen in that moment, lose them the way we did. And you know yeah. what, when the musicians and entertainers who are here and we get, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of work, nobody's going back and revisiting the low points. Look at somebody right. like, look at somebody like Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is one of my all time favorite musicians he did some lame stuff over his career. Mm-hmm. When he passed away, everybody was talking about Hurt. Everybody was talking about his American recordings with Eric Rubin. Everybody was talking about his early work. Everybody's talking about all the, you know, Folsom Prison, mm-hmm. San Quentin. Nobody's talking about, you know, some overproduced 80s track that got lost into obscurity or something like right. that. You know, like no, those low points aren't captured because. The, they transcend those low points. They're able to overcome those low artistic moments or commercial moments or whatever the case may be. You know, I always joke. Yeah. I always joke with Metallica. Uh, personally, I, I I like Saint Anger. I, I personally like that album. I, maybe it has something to do again with you know just the timing of it. I was young enough to get into it or whatever the case may be. I will defend that album. It's not my favorite Metallica album, but I enjoy it. With that said, I understand the criticism, da 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 But I mention all that because that is supposed to be their commercial and artistic low point in the eyes of many people. I'm like, well, if that's their low point, that just shows how amazing their career has been because it was a number one album, won a Grammy yeah. Award, sold millions of albums worldwide. They went on a stadium and arena tour to support that record. I'm like, if that's their low point, I will take that low point any day. That it, yeah. and it just speaks to you know the power of the band and the fan base. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'll put <laughs> let's put San Anger next to Motley Crue Generation Swan. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, you know, yeah, let's yeah. go. Let's go down the list of like huge, iconic hard rock and metal yeah. bands and what their low points were all about. You know, let's let's dig out some of those Joe Perry less Aerosmith albums. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's let's get let's get Kiss the Elder going. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, to judge someone at their worst. Yeah, my view on Saint Anger is that I am happy that it exists uh, because it saved the band, as we all know from right the documentary and, and so on and, and every all the conversation around the documentary. I think that there are, I appreciate San Anger in the sense that I, it's interesting, uh, much like as a film fan, m- movies that are made by some of my favorite directors or written by some of my favorite screenwriters that aren't their best work, but are so interesting to me because it's, it's that director. And I like even kind of digging into it and going, well, what if, you know, if this 20 minutes was out and if maybe this scene was a little different this way and, yeah. and just kind of the curiosity of like turning it over and whatever. So I've appreciated San Anger in that sense. You know, if, if I'm watching the band live and they break out frantic, I, I don't hate it. You know, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's whatever. Um, but I can't say, I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to San Anger and, right. and I don't, I, I have definitely heard all of it but I don't think I've ever listened to it from start to finish in a single sitting. Um, the St. Anger Challenge or something. So my friends have called it. Um, but, but, you know, but it's not it's as hard as the Lulu Challenge. It's not as hard as the Lulu Challenge. <laughs> I will admit right here, I have not heard all of Lulu. Yeah. And I have tried. <laughs> but before but before we get into Lulu, uh, I mean, but St. Anger, you know, when they they did a bridge school benefit i think 2007 2008 or somewhere in there and they did all within my hands acoustic for i believe the first time i've been championing that song ever since and then of course now it's it's you know um now i heard it on fm radio from snm too yeah exactly and and it's great you know it's great in that setting i think again it's an interesting curiosity like you know some of these cats on youtube that have you know, trim the songs down or, or change the production or re-recorded them. And, you know, it's Metallica. There's, there's great yeah. riffs in there. Um, I would say the commercial, sorry, not the commercial, the uh, creative low point in Metallica, since we're, we're talking about San Anger and Lulu is actually the Metallica Swizz Beats collaboration. <laughs> Yeah, we did it. <laughs> that is an abomination. I uh, and I watched agree. that video footage of them making it, and I just yeah. feel sad. And dude, yeah. Jaw rules like eating chips while he's doing. Bull- it's like so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he calls Kirk Kurt. He's like Kurt, get the strings on him. So you know, and it's yeah. just Swizz Beats is a super talented guy, and obviously it's freaking Metallica. That just you know, not everything works. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's okay, yeah. Metallica, to you know, you hear about bands that write like forty songs and then pick the best twelve. Metallica's never really been that band. They've always been the like, we're gonna write until we have an album, and then we're gonna put it out, and it's always great. But you know, once in a while, the Swiss beats, you know, that kind of, you know, <laughs> it's okay to put something away. Um, put there, that up on the show. There is richard if he's my my guest richard s he who's been on i've mentioned him before he's yeah, listening yeah. to this he's gonna be like you're mentioning to me again why but i mentioned him because the reason we met was because he released uh, a 7500 word essay for uh red bull's website i didn't even know that they had articles on red bull but i yeah. learned something new 
And yeah, it I, was, did a, I, I did a bad religion uh, article for the Red Bull website once there, a time. There you go. And yeah. it was, uh, I believe, a 7,500-word essay in defense of St. Anger, calling it Metallica's final masterpiece. I'll send it to you if you want to prove it. it. And it, it's, it's very... He, his points come across very nicely, but that's how we met. So I had him on an episode initially just to talk about St. Anger and, you know, yeah. the article and everything. And I, we did, uh, so we, we had that episode. I was like, why don't you come back and we'll do a track by track breakdown of the album. So he came do that. I said, I'm like, Hey, just stay on for like another 15 minutes and I'll do, let's do a mini episode on. We did it again. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, Oh God, we talked. It ended up being a 45 minute full length episode where we just like, I need to listen to that one. Cause I we didn't just like dissected the atrocity of the lyrics and try to make sense of like, I'm like, it, it, it is what it is though. Like it sounds what it is. Like it's a Metallica demo with Ja Rule rapping nonsense over it. And, it, and, it's, and it's two different Metallica songs yeah. spliced together. Yeah. And I think it's stuff from the, uh, Presidio sessions, maybe it's. I think it might be the yeah, pre San yeah. Anger, yeah, stuff. Um, I mean, look, I will never ever fault them for trying things, and that's one of the things I right. love about them. And I love Same. that they were open to having Swiss Beats come by, and they were talking about DMX, I think, at one point, and then they come around to Jaw Rule, and uh, Jaw Rule's not. I, I, I love hip hop, but Jaw Rule's not my favorite. Um, but I, I applaud Metallica for taking those chances and just kind of messing around and seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, that one just didn't turn out so well. I, I would recommend them. You've probably read it, uh, but I'd recommend it to your listeners. Also um, the essay that Alex Skolnick from Testament, the great Alex Skolnick wrote about Lulu. Mm. He wrote a big long, uh, I, I suppose you could call it a defense, although he does say in it that he doesn't actually like the album, <laughs> but he but he has a whole take on it about how how and why um how and why it exists right and it, it what he wrote about it definitely turned my head around about it yeah and I've, for, for lulu i've always appreciated also that it exists yeah i mean you know it sprung very organically i think out of them being paired with lou reed at the rock hall stuff doing the velvet songs and then I mean, yeah, Lou Reed says, hey, I want to make a record with you guys. Yeah, make that record, <laughs> you know, um, and then put it away. <laughs> <laughs> I but, feel like if I've said this on my podcast, but I feel like if, you know, years from now, way down the road, when God forbid the band's not playing anymore for whatever reason or, you know, they can't continue and they're in that era of a catalog band that's, you know, digging things out from the archives and the vaults then it would be a really neat curiosity to be like, do you know Metallica made this weird art, like right, yeah, opera yeah. record, whatever, with Lou Reed back in one, you know, and, and then that comes out, and then it would be interesting. But, uh, yeah. woof. I've tried. <laughs> I like, I've I, tried. I'm with you, though. I like the fact that these things exist, and I cannot, yeah. and this is, I mean, I love metal, and I, a band like Slayer, I like Slayer. There's not a knock against them, but like I can't picture a band like Slayer ever doing or having the opportunity or wanting to do things like this. And that's what I think separates one of the many things I think separates Metallica kind of from the rest of the metal pack is that, you know, they can successfully do uh, an acoustic show. They can do 
an art album with Lou Reed. They can do two live albums now with an orchestra. They can, mm-hmm. you know, they they can experiment with like country western, and they can they can go down these all these different roads. At the end of the day, it still sounds like Metallica. It still sounds like Lars's drumming. It still sounds like yeah. James and Kirk's guitars. And it, it, you know, you always hear that yeah, no matter what. But they are able to go down all these different avenues that I don't think any other metal band would be willing to go down for better or for worse. I'm not saying every metal band needs to or should, but I don't know if any other ones that are quite as adventurous or have these opportunities to be as adventurous uh, because, you know, they're kind of have transcended. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of, you know, covering the kinks with Ray Davies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to have my buddy, Jeff, Gretz, who plays drums in the band Zeo, he is a huge Lou Reed guy. And we, we had an email uh, discussion going back and forth about Lulu. And I'm going to have him come on for an episode and oh, explain, e- explain yeah. enlighten me a little bit. Because I'm, I'm just not a Lou Reed guy. You know, I respect him. I, I'm aware of his yeah. cultural significance. And, and I know he's like kind of a cool curmudgeon and, uh, you know, a, a, a difficult sort of rebel type guy. And I appreciate all of that. It's just uh, um, an alleyway in my music listening. Yeah. That I haven't I haven't gone down that path before. I have a few questions for you, but before we get there, I will say this because I think you'll enjoy this. Well, one, I I'm fascinated to hear that episode when it comes around because I said not that long ago, I was like, I want to get a Lou Reed fan on here because I've never heard a Lou Reed fan's perspective on that album. You always hear the Metallica fan. I've never heard what like a Lou Reed fan thinks of that album. And there's probably Lou Reed fans that hate it, like sort of the other side of the coin of Metallica fans that just don't like Lou Reed's voice or whatever it is. Right. And they don't like Lou Reed fans who are like, what what are these Metallica? We don't want the metal arrangements. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just a fun story for you that I think you appreciate is that I went to the Lulu listening party oh, in wow. New York City, um, and it was I forget what the art gallery is, but it was at an art gallery in Manhattan, and uh, you know this was before the album had dropped. The band was there, Lou Reed was there. Um, it was very, I guess, formal in a way, like kind of kind of upscale upscale like you uh i mean i was just in like i think i wore like a jeans and like a black collared shirt and i you know i'm there and you know they're passing out you know the appetizers and there's an open bar and the art gallery had completely been overtaken by uh like lulu artwork and they had like uh the mannequin pieces there and um and then they just played the album and uh the band and lou reed were around uh james left early because you know that's not really his scene these days he kind of came did his press and peaced out to be with his family or whatever he decided to do but you know lars and kirk and rob and were mingling so i got an opportunity to you know meet meet them briefly and awesome and uh on the way out um so it's winding down and lou reed's walking towards me i'm like i can't like not say anything to lou reed or at least ask for a picture and I also, you know, I'm trying to be very respectful and not bother him. And I'm like, excuse me, do you mind if we get a picture? And he just looks at me completely stone faced. He goes, make it quick. So I go, <laughs> I go, I go, thank you. Snap the picture, 
Thank you so much. Have a nice night. <laughs> and, and for someone like him too, that's like exactly the experience you want, right? Like that's what you, that's what you wanted him to say. Like, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I didn't want him to smile and be like, absolutely. You know, yeah, I, bro, let's I exchange email addresses. I didn't want the Lars Ulrich experience from the night where you feel like you talk to him for 30 seconds for the first time ever. And you're like, I feel like I've known him my whole life. He, and he seems invested in me. Uh, why is it? Louis is just like, Make it quick. <laughs> you know, Lars is the one Metallica member that I've never spoken to. Oh, really? Ne- never met, never interviewed, never. Yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's, he's the only one. Of, you know, the rest of them I have and uh, and, and Jason as well. And uh, But yeah, never, you, never you, had the opportunity with Lars. I'm willing to bet for somebody in your position as an opportunity to interview a lot of different artists who has interviewed members of Metallica. I'm willing to bet you might be the only person in your position to not have a Lars Ulrich interview. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Certainly plenty of my friends and colleagues. Have, yeah. And, uh, and then also friends of mine, you know, as, as a manager, um, I used to work with a band Dillinger escape plan. Love Dillinger escape plan. Work with a band called all show parish and, Dillinger and Altro Parish both played the second Orion Music Festival. Yeah. And I went out, obviously, I went out with both bands. And um, Kirk introduced Altro Parish and Rob introduced Dillinger. And I met Cliff and Peter that day, which was cool. Played Metallica pinball for the first time that day. <laughs> you know, I mean, or that weekend, rather, was, you know, saw the Kill 'em All set, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was all amazing. But yeah, even there, just never, I don't think I even saw Lars. Yeah. I saw everyone. I saw James catering and, you know, people milling around. And uh, I don't think I even saw Lars, which is funny because it tends to be if if you talk to somebody who has only ever met one person from Metallica, it's usually Lars. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, He's the guy I haven't met. But um, yeah, I've gotten to interview Kirk um, a handful of times. And he's always been awesome, always has advertised. Um, I I haven't interviewed Rob, but I've I've, uh, met him socially a handful of times mm-hmm. and uh and then james i interviewed once but it was a really awesome experience it was yeah. funny you brought up johnny cash uh i actually stop me if you've heard this story before but uh when i was i was a reporter at mtv at the time and the johnny cash hurt video was up for video music award of the year mm-hmm. at the vmas uh, I lost to Justin Timberlake, Crimea River. Um, even Justin Timberlake, when he accepted the award, was like, uh, I should have won. <laughs> but uh, Kurt Loder had conducted what I believe turned out to be either Johnny Cash's final interviews or certainly one of the last interviews in preparation for the VMAs to run as part of the MTV News pre-show. So in addition to that package, I was one one of a handful of people tasked with putting together... Um, some sound bites from some folks who were influenced by Johnny Cash. So I got to interview Chris Cornell, which was amazing. And, awesome. Yeah. You know, talk to him about Johnny Cash. I mean, it was very specific. Like I'm going to spend 30 minutes with Chris Cornell just talking about Johnny Cash. Right. Uh, you know, and um, I got to interview James and Kirk and the closest they were coming to LA or New York was Salt Lake city. So MTV flew me out to their show in Salt Lake. I used a local crew from a local news station. I got to set up my interview shot in the tuning room 
you know, so I'm like moving Hetfield's guitars around and it's (laughs) amazing. Right. And, uh, James and Kirk come in and we spend 30, 40 minutes just talking about Johnny cash. That's amazing. It was amazing. And they were both so cool. And I, you know, I had to do my fan, like after the interview was over, kind of cornered James for a minute and did the, like, you know, when I was a kid and blah, 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 you know, (laughs) and, and he gave, he gave you what you want from him, which was a, a silent nod. You know, like yeah. the, the acknowledgement of like, because was pretty, I dropped, admittedly, a little bit of heavy, you know, trauma on him, and uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he was super cool. And then Kirk, you know, it was the first time I'd ever met Kirk, and he was like, "What are you doing after, man? You staying around for the show?" And MTV had me on a flight before the band was even going to go on stage. This was like afternoon. Yeah. And it's one of those life regrets where it's like, dude, what? I was such a like <laughs> company man. Yeah, as yeah, far yeah. as my job that I did, I, I didn't have it in me to say, oh, I missed my flight or whatever. And so I told Kirk, I was like, oh, I got to be back in Santa Monica and start working on this piece, actually. And Kirk was like, well, why don't you just tell your bosses that we were being rock stars and we wouldn't give you the interview till after the show. <laughs> it's one of those things where I look back and I'm like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> but, uh, Kirk's being yeah. a real dick again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went home. And uh, yeah, it's funny the art the art thing you mentioned. They did uh, an art show, two thousand ten maybe. It was like Death Magnetic era. Mm. Um, they did an art show in L.A. called Obey Your Master, where a bunch of different artists did, uh, you know, pieces that were inspired by, dedicated to Metallica. And one of my best friends, Andy Biersack from Blackfell Brides. He did a, a really cool painting of Cliff that was there, and oh, a clown yeah. from Slipknot had something there. Um, but the band came to that, oh, cool. and uh, and very similar to your experience, they all mingled. Yeah. Um, and James like left first out of the four of them, and it's a really small place. A uh, place um, can't believe I'm blanking on the name because I know the guy who owns it too. Um, Tony Alva was one of the owners, and then this this guy Richard. Um, exhibit a gallery i think it's called but anyway yeah i got to interview kirk there and yeah still lars was there but every time i saw lars he's like holding court and there's like you know never really <laughs> got in there shepherd fairy was djing it was it was a very cool very cool experience but um but yeah dude i love that you had the lou reed experience and that you got the photo and everything because that of all the experiences that's just it's so unique that's such a moment in time that can't be recaptured right like and the it's, listening party and the art gallery and it's Lou so Reed. funny too because metallica.com released like a montage video of it at the time i completely forgot about but not that long ago like within the last year on their youtube channel they randomly like re-release like the lulu stuff um and that video was on there and I had no memory of this video. I was like, what is this? I was like, oh, this the like I was there. Let me watch this. And you can see me and my now wife, uh, who came with me, were there looking at like the Lulu mannequin. I'm like, I'm in that video. I'm in the Lulu <laughs> video on Metallica.com. That rules. That rules. <laughs> so, um yeah. That reminds me of, of something I wanted to say earlier when you mentioned your wife was like, you know, quit bringing up Metallica in every conversation. And that was right. the, genes- the genesis <laughs> of Metallicast. Uh, Speaking of Destroy, Genesis was really similar in that it became a bit of a running joke with a couple of friends that I would bring up Metallica in every interview. 
<laughs> it would somehow just happen, you know, well, you know, like Metallica. And it became a joke with uh, a few different artists that I covered frequently. Yeah. Like, oh, what points down are you going to bring Metallica up in this conversation? <laughs> and that was the same Genesis where I was like, well, what if I did interviews about Metallica? <laughs> where that That's was stated as, as the, as the aim. And so I'm not shoehorning it in. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, a few questions before we wrap up here. Yeah. Um, you you've already you know kind of named some of your projects. You you have a very diverse resume, so to speak. When you look at everything you've been a part of, from MTV to MSNBC to you've done stuff for Marvel Comics and uh, so like what kind of led you down that path? You have this fandom and you've were able to turn it into uh, this journalistic career with. All, kind of exploring everything you seem to have a real interest and passion in, you know, in terms of music and pop culture. I mean, you nailed it. That's exactly it. And it, and it so happened. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, unique in this by any means, but I certainly loved things as a kid that had no business becoming popular. You know, like I, I started reading, Marvel Comics in elementary school, the first comic I collected was Rom Space Knight, which was like a title based on a failed Parker Vision toy. It was like a license that Marvel had, you know? And the the X-Men guest starred in that, and then I started collecting (laughs) X-Men. At the time, there was one monthly X-Men title that was always like teetering on cancellation, right? Yeah. And, you know, similar to getting into Metallica and Thrash and Punk and Hardcore and all the stuff that I was was it you know i was into the things that got you made fun of and picked on and it just so happens that for whatever reason there were enough of us into enough of the same kind of things who then grew up to be creative people and create things and make this and make that and then now we're living in a world where um i am watching a tv series about bucky barnes (laughs) (laughs) you know um which is just incredible like it's you know i love that about the culture and, and, yeah. and how far things have come. So, so yeah, you nailed it, man. Like I, you know, I have, I have a good friend of mine. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is he says, never trust anyone in the, in the music business who didn't try to start a band first. <laughs> and I think that that applies, <laughs> even if it's not necessarily literally that, you know, people who end up doing things like what I'm doing, what you're doing, it comes from a really genuine place of wanting to participate. You know, yeah. we don't just love, we love this stuff so much that we need to be involved somehow. And, yeah. th- and that for me, yeah, came really young reading comics. I started trying to draw comics and, you know, getting really into reading about my favorite bands and filmmakers and things like that. And, you know, whether it was Star Hits magazine or Entertainment Weekly or uh, Kerrang! or Fangoria you know, reading that sort of stuff and voraciously consuming all this information about the things I love made me then want to write things like that and report on things like that and, and have conversations with these folks. And, you know, and I think the thing that's most interesting for me, I like making things, but I really like unpacking conversationally. And so yeah. the interview setting has been what I've been drawn to, um, you know, since the 90s since being in my 20s and you know it's great that podcasting has become what it has because it's such a a great playground to do these long form deep dive nuanced conversations on things 
Whereas, you know, in the print format, maybe if you're doing a cover story, even that at best is going to be 5,000 words and that's probably too long, yeah. you know, and, uh, in MTV news, there were times where, you know, case in point doing 30 minutes with Chris Cornell and 30 minutes with James and Kirk that amounted to probably 45 seconds of television. Yeah. You know, and, and then there was an MTV news piece about Johnny cash that had the rapper Chingy who was big at the time saying, I like Johnny Cash because I like his name. Cash, cash, money, y'all. You know, <laughs> we made space for that soundbite. I say we, it wasn't me. Uh, and you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, Billy Idol. I mentioned Billy Idol was one of the first things I ever loved. Generation X and Billy Idol, some really formative shit for me. And this is a story I often tell about the, the blessing and curse of, of working at MTV back in the day. One day I get assigned to go interview Billy Idol. And I'm like, fucking you know yeah it's just huge you know huge huge deal for me and you know i idol stevens like that line on on a in parentheses after a song title to, that's like page plant lennon mccartney for me you know it's like a hetfield ulrich like <laughs> you know i'm a fan right. yeah, yeah so i go down to billy idol's practice space i watch his band rehearse uh, his manager, you know, talks to me about this greatest hits thing he has coming out and this tour he's going on, whatever. I sit down. I do an in-depth interview with Steve Stevens. I do an in-depth interview with Billy Idol. Um, we pack up, and as we're packing up, I go outside to take a phone call, and I see Billy get on his Harley, and he looks over and he sees me, and as he's riding away, he gives me the fist. <laughs> it's like just you chef's kiss, right? You, you could know? not like, have written it better than that. could not have written it better. It was just the perfect experience. If they made a Billy Idol biopic and included that clip, you'd be like, that never <laughs> happened. That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I say it's a blessing and a curse because the reason why I was there was uh, 50 Cent had just blown up. And 50 Cent and Eminem were up against one another in multiple categories at the VMAs. So a producer in New York was cutting a three-minute MTV News piece comparing Eminem to 50 Cent in this kind of jokey way. So they had, uh, you know, they asked questions like, who's scarier? And then they had Robert England as Freddy Krueger <laughs> saying like, oh, Eminem is scarier than 50 Cent because whatever. And then they, they asked... Um, who has better fashion sense? And then they had uh, Carson from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy yeah. you know, give a 10-second soundbite. I was sent there only to ask Billy Idol, who's a bigger rebel, 50 Cent or, Billy, or, 50 Cent or Eminem? And to get that bullshit 10 seconds of Billy Idol, and that was it. That was the only reason I was there. And just being wow. there the whole time, knowing that that's the reason I'm there, I will say... Yeah. To my credit, unlike the Kirk Hammett story, I did the right thing in this scenario. What I was actually tasked to do, and the reason why it was at his rehearsal, is they wanted me to have him and his band play Rebel Yell. Mm. And for him, in the middle of singing the chorus to Rebel Yell, stop the song, turn to the camera, sneer, and say, like, you know, 50 Cent's a better, bigger rebel than Eminem, because whatever. And I got there, and I was just like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. <laughs> There's no way I'm asking that. And I, and I pulled a, you know, nice reporter trick, which was that I went back and told my boss, ah, yeah, sorry. You know, I tried and 
he wasn't into it. His manager wasn't into it. They just, they wouldn't do it. I didn't even fucking ask. Like, no fucking way was I going to ask that? You know, we're not doing that. But, uh, but yeah, that's one of the, that's one of those situations where it was like, man, it was killer. So all of which is a long winded way of saying, I love the podcasting space because that is somewhere where you can do 60 minutes with Billy Idol yeah. and really dig in and, uh-huh. um, and put it out there. And there's a huge audience for it, obviously, judging by the yes. podcast explosion. I think people in general get tired of, um, and this is not knocking like the late night talk shows. I enjoy, you know, the late night talk shows for what they are and everything, but people get tired of kind of just the traditional promotional mm-hmm. uh, interviews on late night talk shows on FM radio. And now you have all these different avenues where you can have more in-depth conversations. Even when you look yeah. at what people like David Letterman and Oprah Winfrey are doing in their mm-hmm. in their settings, like they're they've gone down that same avenue where they're doing more in-depth one-on-one conversations with people to really kind of dive into what makes them who they are and the different projects that they've done or whatever the case may be. And I find that way more fascinating. Um, like I would much rather hear a member of Metallica on one of the various podcasts that they've done, um, then, you know, on another, you know, whatever, uh, I, I don't even know what I was going to say MTV or V. I don't even know what, what there now, but, no, there, right? yeah. 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 And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember, you know, hearing James Hetfield on Joe Rogan, and they you start learned about, about the bees. About the bees. Yes. And, 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 and at some point, James says, like, dude, your listeners don't want to hear about this. And Joe's like, no, they do. And that's podcasting right there. You know what I mean? And of course, you knew exactly what I was going to say. Because yeah. that's what we remember from that. You know, we don't remember, you know, Joe Rogan's going to ask Hetfield how him and Lars met. Yeah. Or what their, you know, what their backstage ritual was like or what they, you know, any crazy stories from tour. And, you know, that canadian interview from 92 that i watched the interviewer was actually she was really great but they were taking calls and it was yeah it was it was a lot of how's the tour going and um the podcast world has really cracked it open yeah and i you know one of the things that i have done in my career and 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 i'm not complaining by any means because there were a lot of great experiences and and cool pieces that came out of it but one of the things i did for a long time were a lot of movie press junkets and those are scenarios where, you know, they take the stars and the director, put them in a room at the Four Seasons for a weekend, fly in journalists from all around the world, a lot of local news affiliates and so on, and send you into that room four minutes each, five minutes. Sometimes, you know, if it's Tom Cruise, you might get two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one after another you go in there for a few minutes you got to ask at least one question about the movie or they won't invite you back (laughs) and again i'm not knocking it because there was a lot of really cool experiences and i had my own sort of tricks and techniques that to get the most out of those that i could but now with the current media landscape and the audience that's out there for a lot of things and i'm just i can't muster the interest in trekking out to do one of those again you know, as cool as it is to be like, oh, I'm sitting down with Will Ferrell. Awesome. But I get three minutes with him, <laughs> right, you know, yeah. and, uh, and and ostensibly, unless I'm wildly inventive each and every time, one of my three questions is going to be something he's answered 50 times already that, that day, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. yeah. So I love this 
and, and the promotional work still gets done, right? You know, even if it's yeah. as simple as plugging something in the intro or the outro, you know, or, or when somebody's making the rounds of podcasts, like, you know, that they're, oh, they have a movie out, a book yeah. out, whatever. But yeah, beekeeping is so much more interesting than another story about, <laughs> you know, being well, in the studio or whatever. And that's why I think going back to what we kind of started talking about with the different Metallica podcasts, like, you know, there is crossover and you were talking about the Phil Towel interview you have yeah. coming up, but you know, it will some of it be the same possibly, but you're going to go down, you know, there's so much room to go down these rabbit holes or to it, with pockets that just don't exist in other mediums that everything's yeah. going to be slightly different. So yeah, when I have, you know, when I had John Zazula on, where I'm sure it was similar to your interview with him and other people's interview with him because I yeah, want him he, to, he's promoting the book. Yeah, and, he's promoting you know. the book. I want him to tell about, and I want to hear from his own mouth, even though I've heard it before, talking about Megaforce, talking about Simon Metallica. I want to hear that story. But I also, you know, you're going to th- hopefully discover new things or go down different mm-hmm. avenues and like, you know, like hearing in on my episode, he was sharing a couple of the latest metal albums he was listening to. I'm like, I want to know what you're currently into, you know, and, or, you know, when I just anything and everything. And I'm like, I always tell people, I'm like, it's at least people who are not maybe, uh, you know, used to this format who have, or, you know, being on the other end of it, be like, we're, we're, it, let's go down rabbit holes. Like I, like mm-hmm. I, I might come prepared with a list of questions. I don't care if I ask any of them, you know, like it, it's, it, let's just see what happens. I told you before we yeah. recorded this, I'm like, I don't really have a plan. We'll just, and now, yeah, and, and, and now I've kept you for like 90 up, minutes. So well, following <laughs> up is so important too. Yeah. And I haven't been bored for a second, you know, and it's like, we following up is so important because if John, if and when Johnny Z says something to you that you haven't heard before, you're going to grab that thread, yeah, and steer the conversation down that path. And yeah, you and I are both equally interested in him meeting Metallica and and managing the band and Megaforce and all that. Where you know, like you said, overlaps. But even with the same guest and the same topics, if we're both doing our jobs, quote unquote something a little different is going to come out. And by nature of you and I being different people, we're going to inevitably be interested in different things. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't ask him what he's listening to right now, yeah. you know, but I went down, you know, a whole lane with him that was about uh, him trying, you know, him trying to get Raven uh, signed to Atlantic or something. You know, it's like we went on this whole like yeah, 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 Raven yeah. tangent that you might not have gone down. You know, it's like, yeah, you're going to have your own, things that you bring to the table sure. and i think that that's also where as as podcast listeners we get a sense of uh who the person is doing the podcast and that's hopefully part of why we tune in i know it is for me as a listener like i want to hear yeah yeah it's like uh, listening to a podcast just yesterday um and you know i was interested in the guest but i was also interested in that guest with that podcaster Right. You know, and that's, I got an email, you know, overwhelmingly positive feedback about the podcast over the last few years. But of course you remember and focus on the shitty ones. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got an email from somebody recently that was like, Hey, listen to your podcast. You know, it's cool. And I love Metallica, but you got to shut up, man. There's too much you in the podcast. We hear too many of you know, we're not listening to this for your stories. Like we want to hear their stories. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I've been 
on this side of the interviews well not this side but <laughs> but normally i've been on the interviewer <laughs> yeah, yeah, side yeah. Yeah. of uh of interviews for 20 plus years this is part of why i do a fucking podcast man like sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get me on it i'm it's my podcast I, you're gonna you're not just gonna hear gary holt you're gonna hear ryan downey and gary holt talking to each other yeah and i understand if you hear that and you don't want to hear me talk give gary holt my opinions on slayer and exodus um then go listen to one of the other interviews he's done you know what i mean it's like right. i'm not well, demanding people listen to me talk turn it off and that's something <laughs> i have like internally dealt with while doing this podcast was like you know whenever i feel whenever i say something about myself i'm like well i want the focus to be on the guest and ultimately it is but then i'm like wait but that's how a conversation works. Yes. Like you, you need, if I just am like, all right, here's question one. Then it's just that interview that like anybody could do. And I'm not yeah, saying, you exactly. know, I'm not saying I'm special or unique or anything, but I like to think that uh, people at least tolerate me, the people who listen. So they, they're okay with hearing my two cents on something or, um, you know, giving my opinion or, you know, like in this, when I was talking about, you know, what I've done on my podcast was not to be like, well, I've done this. I'm going to tell it's no, because we're having a conversation. Yes. <laughs> and I want to know. And, and, you know, and you telling me about the the origin point, that anecdote from your wife reminded me of something similar in my experience. That was the origin point for my podcast that I wouldn't right. have otherwise. If you would have just asked me, how did your podcast start? I might have even remembered that. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, like you said, that's a conversation and i also feel like you know for a lot of uh guests who have been asked the same questions over the course of their career um depending on who the person is they want to hear a little bit about you it's interesting yeah. to them unless they're an asshole frankly yeah, yeah. you know they don't just want somebody reading off a piece of paper asking them the right. same 10 things you know yeah and, and there's plenty of other places to go for that so for like for that guy you know emailing and saying like you know, it's too much you, you know, quit. We don't want to hear your stories. It's like, cool. Especially now that there are 37 Metallica podcasts alone. That just came out this year. <laughs> so check out a different one, bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe you'll find one where the, where the person doesn't talk at all. I know. So um, we, we did talk about some of our, uh, what, what we felt kind of were some of the more low points of Metallica. I obviously want to end with talking about the high points please. of Metallica. So yeah, that crossed my mind as we were talking about it. I'm like, man, it happens on my podcast a lot. Too. Yeah. Well, I, because I, those are so hot buttony. You know? Well, that's why too. I, I always think I'm like, are people tired of me coming on and people like when I, like when I ask somebody their favorite Metallica, I'm, nine out of 10 times it's ride the lightning and master puppet. So sometimes I'm going to be like, what do you think about load? What do you think about St. Anger? Like right. it's the same questions but i'm like but i'm interested to hear what that person's yeah and answer and it's, is. it's a different person so it's yeah i think it's very yeah that's a good thing to remind both of ourselves because i sometimes hear myself going like oh man we're talking about lulu again <laughs> uh you know but but you're i mean you had a very interesting anecdote about lulu that i haven't heard you know and if we yeah. didn't talk about it i wouldn't have known um <clears throat> you know and uh it's come up with a lot of different people who had a lot of different takes on it um with so, that yeah. said, what's your Positive. favorite Metallica album? <laughs> well, I will say that it changes yeah. every few years. Uh, it, it has sort of a rotation. Um, I have a whole sort of philosophical thing that I, I, I won't 
indulge too deeply, but the short version is I do believe that there is a difference between best and favorites. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there by some metrics, this film might be a director's best film, but my favorite is this one, you know, right. uh, well, it's like, and, I know, I know this movie's not a good movie, right? but it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> right. And I don't believe in guilty pleasures and I don't, yeah, but, yeah. I, but I do think that you can kind of take a step back from a band's catalog and say, well, this record's the best, uh, but not my favorite. Yeah. Um, so in Metallica's case, there was a period, believe it or not, where Load was my favorite record. Um, and I've been accused of being a contrarian sometimes in my friend groups. And some people go, oh, you just say that because you know it upsets people. Um, but, dude, Outlaw Torn is a top 10 song for me. Agreed. Uh, Bleeding Me is a perfect Metallica song. Yep. I like Until It Sleeps. Yep. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> if I could change anything about Load, it's that I would move Ain't My Bitch to later in the record because that was hard for me to get past in the moment when, it, when the album first came out and that was the first taste of that era that I got. Yeah. It was, um, <laughs> it's yeah, but you know, that's, it's, that's a choice. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and on most, most days of the week, it's ride the lightning, which I know is kind of a canned thing to say, but I mean, it runs ride the lightning and master of puppets. It, I go back and forth between which of the two is my yeah. all-time favorite metallic record. Both of them, I think, encompass so many of the important varieties of things that they do within their framework are all kind of right there you know whether it's something that's almost sort of grooving like a leper messiah to obviously songs like battery and damage incorporated that are super fast and thrashy to the big epics like master of puppets and creeping death and for him the bell tolls Uh, and then a song like ride the lightning is is weird and then of course escape uh, which uh, is a whole other that you, we do an hour on escape. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, we will. It, it, we will some point when you come back. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, but it, it, it's one of those two records. But I also hesitate to name Ride the Lightning or Master Puppets because my fandom is so comprehensive. Yeah, that I don't want to sound like one of those. I like I just like the old stuff because I, <laughs> I know. absolutely love hardwired i think hardwired is a perfect record it takes the ferocity and the kind of old school reinvigorated approach of death magnetic but then dips back into some of that black album load reload era production value and the and the guitar harmonies and the the vocal harmonies that returned that i think you know death magnetic has rather famously kind of a a very dry production yeah um I, i just i love Hardware. I love Death Magnetic also. Um, I yeah. love Load. I love most of Reload. Um, I love the two songs that were on SNM that were from the Load Reload sessions. Um, I mean, I, I, I pretty much without reservation embrace the whole catalog. The Black Album. I mean, the Black Album is the gold standard in hard rock and metal production. I mean, there's. Yeah. I don't know that any record before or since has ever sounded as good as that record um, in terms of tone and, yeah, you know, and it's like the, the thing that everyone's always chasing. My, my, my buddy CC plays drums in, in Blackville Brides. They did a record with Bob Rock a few years ago 
And, you know, one of his first conversations with Bob Rock was a very like producer drummer kind of conversation where he's like, yeah, so what are you, you know, what are you going for? What kind of, what records do you like? What kind of drum sounds are you into? What do you want? And, and CC was just like, um, the black album, (laughs) black album guy, like, You Whatever probably you know something that about again. that. Yeah, yeah. Like, that'll, that'll do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the Black Album, as divisive as it is for some fans, it's also, of course, the biggest selling record of the SoundScan right. era. It's still in 2021, sells thousands it's, of copies a week. It's insane. it's insane. It's crazy to think that a couple thousand people in just America every week are like, yeah. you know what I need to buy right now? I need to go buy the Black, the Black album. album. It's like... I, I was laughing when Hardwired first came out because I remember that was number one and the Black Album was number two. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, exactly. what are you? I mean, chances are, if you looked at the like the metal charts right now, it's in the top five most likely. Oh, for sure. Uh, like there would be. In fact, I literally just today looked at the Apple Music U.S. metal chart, and the Black Album was number one. Yeah. The Evanescence record that just came out, I think, was number two or three. Yeah, I mean, Black Album was number one. It's just a, I mean, it's just a juggernaut. There's no slowing it down. And I, I 100% agree with you with 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 what you were saying about the overall catalog. And for me, Master of Puppets is my favorite album. And Master Puppets, I think, is probably my favorite song. I just think if you've never heard Metallica before in your entire life, always you put that song on. It I ain't... always say, if yeah. aliens come down and yeah. say, what is Metallica? That's the song you play. Yeah. It's yeah. just the perfect... It's everything they do the best as a band, I think. But, yeah. you know, that's... Like, when you say Master Puppets and Ride the Lightning, it's sort of like a, a boring answer now, right? But it's yeah. much more interesting to talk, I think, about the newer stuff. Or and it sounds dismissive, um, which I don't mean for it to. Yeah, yeah. I am. I mean, look, you know, the last couple times I've seen them perform, they did very hardwired, heavy sets. Oh yeah, and I loved it. And they I fit in all of that record. I love hardwired, and I, I've, I've said on the podcast before, much like you said, it takes everything that they do great as a band and puts it in a blender. Like you have the, yep. um, the the thrashiness of the early albums, some of the progressiveness of Injustice for All. You have like the the arena power of the Black Album with the groove of the Load and Reload era. It's mm-hmm. just it's it, it really is a blender of of everything they've done in their career. And I think, with the exception of probably the Black Album, you're talking about the production. The Hardwired, I think, is the best the band has sounded on record. When you listen to like the overall warmth and power and tones that they capture um it's just really phenomenal from start to finish and to i agree i was so happy when that album came out like as a fan for them as a band and just it was nice after you know by high school years of napster saint anger being like now like it now it's like oh oh now all the rest of you want to come back okay <laughs> <laughs> I do wish someone would have shown them the crowbar album cover oh <laughs> uh, yeah I saw that yeah yeah but uh, yeah and, and Death Magnetic had such great album art I think that yeah. image is really iconic and the whole stage show they were able to build around it the hardwired cover is not my favorite and it does look like the crowbar record that I think is a better version of that concept uh, but yeah the record is just it's my favorite. Metallica record since load, I suppose. Yeah, maybe yeah. even since yeah. Um, 
man, it's crazy because yeah, because here we haven't even really talked about justice, and I absolutely adore every second of justice. I'm never not stoked if <laughs> that record's on. You know, you to know? go back to you were talking about some of the justice injustice for all controversies, right? Especially when the album first came out, and people still to this day are talking about the base, talking about another controversy mm-hmm. people can't let go, right? I think it was sort of a happy accident in a way where I feel like the tone of that album is perfect for that record. The when I hear that album, I just hear like grim, dark, apocalyptic, like end of the world type, sort sort of robotic and cold. Yeah, cold is the perfect word for it. And to not have that low end there, it, it just adds to that i don't think that was their intention i think it was a happy accident but i I think it it's perfect for that record and i know people will disagree with me and and i say that as a bass player i'm a i you know i yeah is there a part of me that would like to hear the bass more sure but i I don't think it takes away from that album and yeah and also audiophiles who know way more about this stuff than i do I've, i've heard the argument that um you know sonic like if you're opening up and justice for all and you're in pro tools or whatever and you're trying to remix it frequency wise whatever it is the way everything's scooped there's no way to nowhere to put the bass yeah you can't just put it back in there without it sounding totally unnatural because it's just all all, everything all the space is eaten up where the bass might otherwise sit and every time i hear an injustice for jason type thing on youtube of which there's a lot um it always sounds like Flea is in Metallica or something because it's always overcompensating, right? Like, now yeah. it's got bass. You know, so it's one of those things where we heard it the way we heard it. And even Newstead yeah. has said, like, he doesn't want them to... Before the box set came out, everybody was like, oh, there's going to be a remaster. Maybe they're going to remix it and bring up the bass. And yeah. it's like, no, because it just it is what it is. Yeah. It came out the way it did, you know. I did this whole... I did a whole episode about this with somebody where we kind of debated like remixing and remastering of albums and both Metallica, of course, being the main focus. And he, you know, was like, why would they not add bass? And I'm like, well, they want to capture, you know, this moment in time. And I'm like, once you change it, it's not the album that you know anymore. No. I go, if they want to do that, then provide me with both. Right. Give yeah. me, give me yeah. one disc. That's the original. Give me one disc with the bass added, but I don't want just the base added and the in history to be erased and 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 I've said this before on my podcast and I say this as a Megadeth fan and I come from a place of love but those remasters that they came out with are messy to say the least and like I and when you are uh you know on Apple Music it's like all that you have access to so if you go back to like so far so good so what I'm like in my darkest hour does not sound the same as it did on my CD when I was growing up and, you know, and there are worse examples of it than that too. Just in the, it's just really well, uh, poorly done and it eliminates history. It like erases history and redoes history. And I don't like this. Is, that. This is, the, this is the star Wars argument. You know, yeah. you have give me a two disc Blu-ray that has the 1977 theatrical cut and Lucas's finalized special edition with all the goofy stuff added and, and some things added that I think were great additions. Sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, the idea that you're erasing the, the art that we originally experienced in favor of, of executing your more perfected, more current version, I think, yeah, is, is, is difficult for us as fans. Yeah. With, with the Megadeth catalog, 
that reissue series, I think that was like 2004, 2005, somewhere in there where the remixes and remasters, those are bad. Countdown, yeah. Countdown's bad. Rust is bad. They're all bad. But I will say the Killing is My Business remix remaster that came out in like 2002 is phenomenal. It like rescues yeah. that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the newer one, you know, they remix remastered a second time with Mark Lewis just a couple years ago and that's killer those yeah. those sound great and i actually prefer i do agree those that. two to the original uh and then there's um you know there's a peace cells and i think maybe even countdown like some of those records have had other remix remasters over the years mm-hmm. that are good yeah. there's something about that those the ones that were done all kind of like in one sitting that all yeah. kind of sound the same now like i'm not and i'm not uh, i'm not somebody who actually hates the album risk i actually appreciate that album for what it is i think there's some good songs on there and i think it's i i actually would much prefer that album over some of the more recent megadeth albums but that's kind of a whole other conversation but if you hear the remaster of risk that album like it was like dave mustaine trying to overcompensate and for an album that most people did not like and it changes the song so drastically that like you've made a completely different record in some ways. Like mm. the way I remember, like you have that opening track, Insomnia. It started with like strings and a whole like string. It was an interesting intro. It's not what you would expect from a Megadeth record. All that's gone. Mm. And then like the strings are turned down. The mix it's more of like a straightforward rock. I'm like it's just less interesting to listen to now to me. You know, like the songs are they're not holy wars so <laughs> like the the draw of that album was kind of hearing the more interesting parts of the songwriting that you added in and some yeah. of the more pop sensibilities and now you're but now you're downplaying that so it's now it's like now i'm just left with more of like a more of a generic straightforward rock album that it just it's just way too different yeah and then there was the md45 record where yeah leaving's vocals are removed and mustaine re-sang all the songs and that gets into a whole other conversation about when bands and it's usually you know because they had some terrible record deal or they're not getting paid on something or whatever the case may be but when they you know like suicidal re-recorded their first album and there's a lot of bands that have done the like full-on re-records and it's like again those are interesting but only if the original thing is still going to be available to me. Absolutely. I'll check out your re-record as a curiosity, but please don't replace. Yeah. It would be like watching the Gus, you know, you only have the Gus Van Zandt shot-by-shot <laughs> 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 shot remake of Psycho, the Hitchcock one's yeah, been yeah, erased yeah. from the yeah. Library of Congress. No, thank like, you. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one final question, you know, to say on the high points of Metallica, do you have, yeah. I'm sure you've had the experience to see them live. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite concert you've seen that stands out to you? Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked that. Cause I was actually just thinking about that, um, earlier today. So yeah, I've had an opportunity to see him a number of times, never seen a bad Metallica show. Uh, but one of the things that I'm very appreciative of is that I've had the opportunity to see them in a lot of different types of venues and different size venues. Yeah. Um, my toss up between two shows, but I think my favorite show I'm trying to think what year it was 
might have been 2015. But they played San Diego Comic-Con. Mm. And they were there, I think, promoting Through the Never. Uh, so whatever year that the movie came out. And I interviewed Kirk there. I, I came in as a freelancer for MTV and saw that Metallica was on somebody's schedule. And I was like, I will do that interview. <laughs> um, and it was with Kirk and it was awesome. And I didn't have any plan or way into the show and just heard about the show that day that they were playing like a secret show at Comic-Con at a, you know, a venue in downtown San Diego that holds like 1200 people or something. Long story short, finangled my way into getting my, myself and a couple of my friends tickets went in and uh, man, it was I mean, it was just so good because it was, you know, and they were so loud, but just seeing them in a small venue and I was in the balcony um, and I've seen them in small venues and other special shows like that. But I think that was my favorite. And then I looked over to my right and then another little smaller private balcony was Rob Halford watching Metallica. I'm like, that's amazing. And then, you know, to my left, when I first walked in and found a spot in the balcony, I turn to my left and there's Bradley Cooper. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it's Comic-Con. Comic-Con's like Sundance these days. Um, you know, it's a movie star or whatever. Mm-hmm. The band starts and he knows every word. <laughs> he's headbanging and he's air guitaring to the whole show. And I was just like, all right, that dude's <laughs> fucking awesome. And actually, funnily enough, a couple years later, I got to see them at... Um, this is the other show where I'm like, it's a toss up between the two, right? Is I saw them do a, uh, a charity show at the Fonda theater in LA, which is another like 12, 1400 cap room. Really cool show. I think I like the Comic-Con show better, but that, that, uh, that show was awesome as well. And uh, back by the soundboard, there's Lady Gaga. Oh, well, yeah. And come to find out as a fan and reading interviews and everything down the road that, Bradley Cooper's a Metallica fan. Yeah. He be- he becomes friends with Lars. He makes the movie with Lady Gaga while they're filming the movie. He brings her to that show that I was at. She meets the band that night, the day I was there. You know, it's just like this weird, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in this little history moment, you know? And uh, and apparently that, that friendship developed, you know, from that night onwards. And then that turned into the collaboration at the Grammys. Which um, we're also at. Yeah, so that was awesome. So that was kind of a neat, like, you know, feeling like swept up in the in the yeah. whole thing. But uh, and I have a pick from that charity show. Um, I'm never the guy that even tries to catch the pick, but um, I saw one on the ground. <laughs> I was like, I'll take that. Um, but yeah, uh, it was cool. Um, I want to say the same day or maybe the day before I saw them play Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Kimmel has his stage outside it was like the outside oh, yeah, yeah. stage yeah. and just a few songs but it was cool it's that same album cycle is hardwired um but yeah, yeah i gotta say that san diego comic-con show was it was cool the set was cool the set, the set list um they were super loud they were in good spirits you could tell they really have fun in those environments yeah um and it's like cramming you know the entire rose bowl stadium into <laughs> little club um and then i also love you know i think the last time i saw them was at the rose bowl in pasadena and that's obviously like a massive venue it was them and avenged sevenfold and uh, avenged was great i love avenged and uh yeah i love big metallica show with 
production and pyro yeah, and yeah. huge, you know, thousands of people, all of us singing in unison together. And people, you know, one of the things I love about seeing Metallica and seeing Maiden and, and Megadeth sometimes too is when the crowd sings along to the riffs. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's 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 like a that's an important band when people sing along to your riff. Yeah. When you when you uh when they get to the interlude and master and everybody sings it, it's like goosebumps yeah. every time when you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Metallicast and Dude, this was my pleasure. It was a blast. You're welcome anytime. Next time we'll do an hour of escape if you want or <laughs> Yeah. Well, ne- next next time we're going to have you on speaking destroy. Please. Then I'll, love then to. I'll come back to Metallicast. Please, yeah. I'd love Make to it. anytime. An ongoing conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm sure a lot of people listening know where to find Speaking the Story. I'm sure they're listeners as well. But just in case you don't, please let us know. And uh, anything else you want to plug? I know you have a couple other podcasts out there. Oh, sure. Yeah. going on? I'll, pl- I'll plug away. Um, yeah, Speaking Destroy. If you go to speakanddestroy.com, that will have information about all the episodes, all the different podcast listening platforms where you can find it, socials and all that. That's all Speak and Destroy. And it's N like guns and roses. Uh, since an ampersand and a URL is dumb. Uh, I named the podcast Speak and Destroy. And yeah, as far as the other stuff, I have a, a podcast called Pop Curse, which is musicians talking movies. So, you know, I had uh, Blothar the Berserker from Gwar on, and we talked about Robocop for an hour. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Spencer from Ice Nine Kills and I talked about The Shining for an hour. The guys cool. from Twisted came on, and we talked about. Uh, Carpenter's original Halloween. Uh, so yeah, musicians talking movies. That's the that's the one sentence elevator pitch on that one. That's Pop Curse, and then No Prize from God, which is conversations about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. So the idea is that musicians, filmmakers, authors, poets, uh, anyone in the creative arts who has a unique take on life's big questions uh you know in looking through the religion and spirituality category on apple podcasts you see a lot of evangelical christians uh, militant atheists some new agey stuff maybe a buddhist podcast here and there but i would scroll through that and go like where are the conversations for the rest of us you know because like i i want to create a space where you have hr from the bad brains come and talk about his whole trip right or you have uh, you know, from Krishna consciousness to, you know, I've had some of the Norwegian black metal guys, um, you know, Nurgle from Behemoth, uh, mm-hmm. from Poland, obviously, but I've had Nurgle on, I've had Isan from Emperor, Satir from Satyricon, uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, Maddie Mullins from Memphis Mayfire, Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter, uh, running all the gamut of, um, you know, guy who, uh, Darren Bossman, who directed a bunch of the Saw movies, including the one that's about to come out. Um, you know, he had a whole interesting trip on stuff. I'm, you know, a, a woman who wrote a book about tarot card reading. Um, anything and everything that falls under that category of Very cool. uh, life and death and what does it all mean. So, yeah, speaking of story, Pop Curse and No Price from God, those are... If you aren't sick of my voice after two hours of Metallicast, <laughs> <laughs> there's all the my voice you can handle. Well, you know, I I do hear there's a member of Metallica who's a big movie buff for Pop Curse. I'm just saying. Yeah, just saying. there might be somebody who even curated a little film festival at their, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, yep, yep. Well, thank you again, Ryan. This was awesome. And like I said, you're welcome anytime. Likewise. And yeah, we'll, the next thing we'll do is we'll uh, we'll set up uh, bringing you on mine. And then we'll just um, we'll make all the Metallica podcasts jealous. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> love it. Who's who's got dude. that Phil Towel interview first now, huh? <laughs> dude, dude, there's there's gotta be a uh, there's gotta be some kind of crossover episode at some point where we get just like you know all of the, where it's just like ten well, podcasts. It's my together. I would love. I, I I think I might have even tweeted this not like a while back. I like I would love to do. I do like a monthly live stream on uh-huh. Facebook and YouTube. How cool would it be to just have like a Talking Heads live stream, like us two, Clint and Ethan tom from alpha metallica just like at least like the kind of the first five or six that were around you know the first wave yeah (laughs) all of us get together and just talk over each other have a drink nerd out just be like we're all at think of it as like we're all at a bar talking about metallica i think it would be phenomenal metallica PodCon. yeah (laughs) (laughs) dude i'm 100 percent down it'll be super super fun it's funny because uh you know Ethan and I have been talking about doing each other's podcast ever since we once considered just doing the podcast together. And it's, it still has never happened. Yeah. I actually gotten around to it. So I'm pretty sure um, when I was on their show, I'm pretty sure you were mentioned and they're like, Oh yeah, we, I, I think he mentioned like he, how he knew you and like, yeah, yeah. You guys were going to do something at some point and yeah, yeah, show, yeah, yeah, and I know that I know they've shouted out the show before, um, and you know, and, and the love goes in all the directions from yeah. all of us various Metallica podcasters. Um, and I mean, hey, if, if there's any, there's no downside. The more, the merrier. You know, it's like yeah. if anything, it just uh, encourages each of us to step up and try to distinguish what we're doing from everybody else and make it unique. And yeah. that's just going to result in that many more cool metallica podcast for metallica fans to nerd out on absolutely agree the only time i ever feel like there's any competition is just when i see one of you guys do something really cool and i'm like i wish i thought of that oh i wish i got (laughs) to talk to that guy but but same same i mean dude i mean yeah when you um you know john bush had been on my wish list forever and when i saw you had john on it was definitely a moment of like ah you know like (laughs) i want to have john bush um but you know what? John Bush is happy to talk to all of us. So it yeah. worked out great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. Super <laughs> yeah. nice guy. Though that's the thing too, is I, I found everybody's always so generous, so nice, so giving of their time. So and because they have a love for Metallica too. And, exactly. And and you know, and I've never had anybody come on and and, and badmouth. I, I had Eric Braverman on. Are you are are you aware of Eric Braverman? Oh, Right. Was he the guy that was like, he's very he used to work for them. Yeah. Very. Okay. Yeah. He used to work for them. Was in the inner circle. Very yeah, opinionated. I, I, I listened to, I think the first half of that episode. Very yeah. opinionated. But even at the end of the episode, he's like, I owe everything to those guys. Like I would give them <laughs> anything. You uh, know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's a lot of controversial yeah. statements along the way. But then at the end, he's like, yeah, I love those guys. I would do anything for them. They yeah. were so good to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and there, and there's so much, my take is there's so much, positivity and so much fun and enthusiasm to be had around this band that yeah. you know none of us started these podcasts so we could talk shit let alone yeah. invite <laughs> invite people on right to talk shit so right yeah yeah it, yeah but it i've never run into the only kind of funny little tale like that that i have is 
I set up an interview with Dave Windorf from Monster Magnet, mm. who was a super cool guy. And Monster Magnet had toured Europe with Metallica, I think, during like the load era. So that was the angle, obviously, to have them on. Right. And so I lead right in with my Metallica questions. Like, yeah, so you know, you're touring Metallica and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, so again, I never really saw him. It's like we just, you know, we didn't really hang out, and our schedules were different, and we we're the opening band, and you know, they're cool. I, I like Metallica. I'm not like some huge fan. I didn't, you know, I didn't like watch them play all the time, and it was just like immediately like, oh shit, what am I gonna do with this next hour? <laughs> um, and uh, we ended do you up know talking what podcast about podcast you're on. <laughs> yeah, dude, and obviously he didn't, and yeah. so um, we ended up talking for uh, you know an hour about comic books and Jack Kirby and. A bunch of other cool stuff, and I was just like, I'm, "I'll just use this for a different podcast, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, just yeah. won't use it for speaking this way." <laughs> and then the only other time something kind of similar happened was with Blue Oyster Cult. Um, that interview, which was for speaking destroy, we went down the road a certain distance about Metallica, and it was cool. And then uh, I started asking, I don't know, it was like maybe I got like. It was with Buck Dharma, and he was super cool. But I got maybe four Metallica questions in, and then got to like the fifth, and he was like, "Um, I didn't, is this whole thing about Metallica? I didn't. Are we going to be talking about Metallica this whole time?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, we're gonna, you know, it's 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 kind of the anchor, it's the conversation point, but it's not the whole conversation." And he was like, "I really don't know that much, you know. I covered this song, and I met him this time, and that's kind of the extent of it." And so I just veered in another direction i yeah. still use the episode and i actually cut out the 30 seconds or so there that i just described to you where it got weird yeah um but yeah it was like a miscommunication where you know his publicist was like no way dude i told him you know i told him exactly what he was going on i don't know why he was surprised but he was super cool yeah but um i think he just you know realized a few questions and he felt uh under under qualified to talk about metallica so Every once in a while, though, you know, I like to do something a little bit different. I mean, with Metallica always being the root and the anchor, but I definitely have episodes that are not really like Metallica might be a quarter of it because it just goes in yeah. a different direction. But I think it's still relevant to, you know, people who listen, you know, like. Um, Agreed. Uh, so, like, you know, we I had an episode not that long ago with a, a fan on who's an artist. He actually did the art for um, the Metal Up Your Podcast first couple oh, cool. cover albums yeah. he did the art yeah, yeah. for them i love i love the art they have for yeah those. i so, love and i love the art they just changed the art for their show not that long ago and i really like their new art even better yeah. than last so he he's been on a few times now really nice guys and um but we're both teachers by days i'm a music teacher he's an art teacher and so you know we it was during it was a few months back so it's after you know we're well into COVID and everything so i'll, mm -hmm. I'll Metallica is the anchor, but, and we're both new parents within last year. So like, but the bulk of it was like about being new parents in COVID and yeah. teaching during COVID. And then Metallica just kind of weaved in and out of that. But it's like it, it then you release and you're like, I don't know. It's like, it's, if it's not a hundred percent Metallica, I'm always like, I wonder if people, but then it has a really positive reaction, you know? Cause I think people yeah. it's stuff. It's, it's still relevant. People can relate to it. And it's, it's kind of a one-off. You do an episode every week. I think sometimes it's nice to kind of, you know, mix it up once in a while. Yeah, and... I've I've had the exact same experience. And then there's also times where, you know, I have Rex Brown from Pantera. Yeah, we're going to talk about Metallica a lot, which we did. 
but we're going to talk about Pantera too. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it's right. Yeah. And that, and that, and that was kind of the idea, the concept from the outset anyway, was that yeah, these are folks who there's plenty of interesting stuff to talk about. Metallica right. is kind of the, well, I did the, a the anchor. I do. Like I mentioned before, I do some stuff for metal talk.net mm-hmm. uh, sometimes. And so I, I interviewed David Ellison for them. So we didn't talk. It was like a half hour. We didn't talk at all about Metallica. But I still, they let me release the audio as a podcast. So I still put the audio, and I said it, and I, you know, add on the intro stuff. I'm like, like, just so you know, we don't talk about Metallica at all, but it's fucking David Ellison. So here you go. (laughs) It's it's related. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I started a a Patreon a little while back, and I've been digging into my um, archives from over the years of stuff that, you know, repurposing and things that have never been heard or, you know, 30 minute phone interview I did for a, 200 word article in a print magazine that yeah. came out years ago, you know? So I've been kind of just mining Metallica affiliated folks, uh, including um, one of the interviews I did with Kirk, I put out as a bonus episode and my thinking there. Yeah. Like I put out one with Randy Lamb of God from Lamb of God. We don't talk about Metallica at all. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a cool bonus episode. Yeah. Lamb of God's toured with Metallica a bunch and whatever. And, and, you know, and at some point I'll have Randy on specifically for the show and we'll talk Metallica. Sure, yeah. But I think that that qualifies as a bonus episode. Yeah. You know, I had a, um, a Danzig interview that I put up as a bonus episode. We talked, we did talk about Metallica, but for like two minutes, um, yeah. you know, it was mostly about other stuff. Um, and then the Kirk one, I didn't put the Kirk episode out as an official episode. I did that as a bonus, a Patreon bonus episode because I feel like that's cheating. Uh, Cause I'm going to have one of those guys on. I want them to be on specifically for the show and not just like, yeah, yeah. here's an interview I did with Kirk for something else. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that's in poor form. You know, as a matter of fact, um, pre COVID um, I used to host an event at the musicians Institute in LA uh, called the uh, MI Conversation Series, and it's basically inside the actor studio for bands. So awesome, it's like myself yeah. and a guest. I interview them on stage for an hour, and then there's a little like 300 cap theater, nice seated theater, and then you know we do like 30, 40 minutes of uh, audience questions. And I took um, Halford, Joe Satriani, and then one of those I had David Elfson and uh, Frankie Bello together. I put all of those out as speaking destroy episodes. After yeah. The fact. And Metallica did come up in most of those conversations, but, it, but again, it's just like they're this counts and I have it and it's two hours long and it sounds better than my shit usually does. Um, and has a very limited audience in the, in the moment yeah. versus, you know, I will say it's funny. We're talking about this because again, our mutual friend, Josh Bernstein, uh, he talked me out of it, but uh, him and I, he was he was a producer on those events with me he actually created the event originally and uh we did one with tony iomi and i keep still want to put that out as an episode because it's fucking tony iomi and it's a great two-hour interview we never talk about metallica and josh always talks me out of it because he's just like man you know it wasn't pitched to him as a metallica podcast Mm, interview yeah he just feels like it's it's in it's that there's some kind of poor taste with that or something i get it but yeah. um but i still want to put it out <laughs> but it's on youtube if people want to go watch it but uh yeah it's on the loudwire youtube channel and on the uh, musicians institute youtube channel but but, but yeah but i but i don't feel bad at the satriani one i mean you know he talked 
he gave lessons to Kirk at one point and we talked about Kirk for a good 20 minute chunk of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Elvison and Frankie, obviously they're both part of the big four. And we talked about Metallica. We talked about cliff. Um, and then Halford, I don't think we actually talked about Metallica, but it's fucking Halford. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to your point, I don't yeah, think there's, any, there's anything enough. wrong with you. Uh, you know, and the guy who does the, um, Appetite for Distortion, uh, one of the Guns N' Roses podcasts. Mm. He works for iHeartRadio as a DJ, and he does these like 10, 15-minute phoners with um, all kinds of people for his day job. Yeah. And he's and he's constantly putting those on Appetite for Distortion. Oh, um, cool, yeah. Including David Ellison was one. <laughs> but yeah, and it's like, you know, yeah. There's no shame in that game. Yeah. It's always, you know, when the interviews for Metal Talk to, it's finding that balance. Because, like, I'm like you, I'm like, I always want to work in Metallica, and then especially if I can use it for the podcast. But it's like, right. but I'm like, also, like, the interviews for them. So I want to be respectful yeah. for, like, you know. So it's like always trying to find that balance of, like, uh, uh, you know, what to make everybody happy in the equation, yeah. you know? Yeah. There was one that I did, um, one of the guests I had at MI. <clears throat> who I thought would be a cool episode, um, but politely said no to being on the podcast in general. And so then I was like, well, I can't then turn around. Yeah. You know, now knowing that this person specifically does not want to talk about Metallica, <laughs> I can't just take this other interview and throw it on here. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 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 But then that's another thing too, right? You get the personal requests or the PR requests. And then it's like, yeah, you know, so like I just did an interview for Metal Talk that will probably be out this week, and it's like well, it's not really going to be Metallic related, but it's metal related. But then it's like, oh, he he's only going to do you know printed interviews. I'm like, oh, okay, well. Mm. So I mean, it was a cool interview and stuff, but you know, I did I I I have learned that uh, transcribing the interview I don't enjoy doing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my lifelong nightmare, and there's. There, and there's the old joke about uh, like, there's got to be an easier way than this. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I I tell my daughter this all the time. I have a, a teenager, and she's uh, she likes she's a great writer. And um, I tell her I always tell her the old writer joke about how um, being a writer is having homework for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and surely enough, it's you know seven thirty here on the West Coast as we're wrapping up this conversation, and I will be uh, immediately. Uh, writing yeah. <laughs> when we wrap up so yeah homework forever <laughs> that's how i feel once in a while too when i edit this i'm like yeah I'm like i love the recording i love the recording if only i could hire somebody to edit. <laughs> and sometimes too you're like that was a great conversation but then you're like do i really want to listen to it again yeah. <laughs> the next <No>. day <laughs> <laughs> i know yeah, man. Well, Ryan, this was awesome. Thank you so much. So again. awesome, yeah, man. And we'll uh, we'll do it again soon. We'll go back and forth, and we should get we should do some sort of. Uh, it would be really funny to get at least kind of the the Metallica podcast OGs get us all. Yeah, all I think to, so. Too. All together for something, yeah. Just to do like even if it's a ends up being like a complete shit show where we're all talking yeah. over each other like that that almost so be better fun. yeah yeah <laughs> everybody can so. bring a drink of choice and you know we'll just do like a little round table and. It would be fun to do like a virtual roundtable as a live stream wherever on your thing, wherever. But then for each of us to take the recording and all of us the same day 
release the same episode. That would be super. That'd be kind of that'd be kind of awesome. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Well, we got we got two of us on board, so we can spear exactly. Yeah, yeah, we're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, dude. All right, man. Um, Well, yeah. Uh, Well, thanks again. Have a good rest of your night, man. Yeah, anytime. Have a good one, man. Cheers. Bye. I want to thank Ryan Downey for coming on Metallicast. If you are a listener of this podcast and you are not a listener of Speak and Destroy for some strange, bizarre reason, do yourself the favor. Check out the links in the episode description. Give him a follow on social media. Download the podcast. Subscribe. It is a great listen. Ryan is a great interviewer, just like he's a great interviewee. I had a blast talking to him for two plus hours. And I'm really hoping we can get it together again soon so we can continue this conversation. And how cool would it be to get all the Metallica podcast hosts together for a virtual round table? That is the dream. I think that would be a complete shit show, but a huge, uh, it would just be so much fun for all of us to nerd out. I think it'd be so much fun for everybody who listens, including you, in the Metallica Ass Monday Show. If you are new to Metallicast, please give me a follow on social media at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you can subscribe, download, leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way to helping the podcast continue to grow so all of us Metallica Podcasts can take on the world. That's right. We're after world domination. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, mill up your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.